Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Though Ashcraft expected to come off and start this weekend. De La Cruz opposite way. Profar back. De La Cruz opposite way for home run number two. It's a 4-1 game. We're going streaky. Don't look now, but here come the red legs. <laughs> oh, Mark Dighton. How much reluctance in creating such an open there? I mean, I watched the end of that game, and I was like, oh, man, the Rockies are making it interesting. And then the Reds pulled it off. You know, the thing about this win streak, it's now 10 in a row. And, Jake, give us the year, the longest such streak since when? So this is, I believe, the fifth time that the Reds have won 10 straight. But they have not won 11 straight since 1957. It's the... Obviously, 10 is 10, but just like the entertainment value, I mean, to Mark's point, last night was not something that was just some smooth sailing. Oh, yeah, we're going to coast here in the ninth inning. Uh, They have been quite the entertaining product here, and kudos to Mark Dighton, diehard Cubs fan, going out of his way for a nice Reds open there. Good for you, Mark. It's rare that I'm the bigger man, but I, I am today at least. Uh, Credit to Mark for that. Good Wednesday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jay Query. And Mark Dykton, uh, boys, longest day of the year? I love it. It's my favorite day of the year because for that reason. And there's no bigger buzzkill than when it rains on days like today because you're like, the 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 buzzkill is this. That means on t- starting tomorrow, the days are getting shorter. Is there any bigger misnomer than summer technically not starting until June 21st? It, it's been summer for what, over a month? Yeah, no, no question. Like yeah. I, I feel like of all the seasons, so what, winter is December 21st, 22nd, fall is September, spring is March. Yeah, you're right. It, it Summer has the earliest introduction. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've been calling it summer. Yesterday I went to the dentist and I was like, have a good rest of the summer. I'm like, it's not, I, I guess technically it's not even summer yet. I recall when I was a kid once on the 4th of July watching the fireworks downtown and my mom saying... Fourth of July always makes me sad because it means summer's coming to an end. And that's in like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Uh, So the summer solstice today, it is the longest day of the year. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it because we certainly did a lot yesterday. I say this in all seriousness. As they continue to look for the missing summer rain, the fact that they get the most daylight of any day of the year is a great thing. Uh, And looking for the submarine? Right. Yeah. Okay, they're like, <laughs> oh boy, are you still laughing about this? No, I'm not. I'm not laughing. Um, what, what would you call what you just did? I was laughing at the the thought of the fact of like, come on, guys, <laughs> we got to look at this thing by nine. The fact that it's the longest day of the year is good news. I mean, it's better than December 10th. <laughs> well, it might have been chilly in December. Is that it? So if like, so what you're saying is, if the if the fellows make it out of the little capsule, at least the water's warm. 
No, I, I'm saying that the search and rescue teams have got a lot more daylight to work with. Does now, the oxygen know that it's the longest day of the year, or does well, it still go on its own? Okay, obviously that is that is an issue. Here, here's my other thought. So last night, so for those that are unfamiliar, there's this, we'll call it a sub-vessel, whatever it is. It looks literally like a septic tank that some guy put together and decided that he and four other people that he was going to take as passengers that have paid $250,000 each. They're going to go to the Titanic wreckage to look at it. This rudimentary capsule they put together, which is basically a concrete Tylenol tablet that is run by an Xbox controller and has lighting on the inside from Camping World. It has disappeared. There's thought that it might have gotten stuck in the wreckage, like that it might have gotten trapped or entangled in the wet, in the wreckage. Uh, I also saw that the 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 one window that it has that that window was tested up to 1,300 meters of water pressure, which is roughly 40 percent what the water pressure is at the level of the Titanic. Um, yeah, the but, pictures are horrifying. Of well, here's the vessel so here's what i don't understand in the a couple, controller a couple of things here so this vessel on the inside it doesn't have seats or anything like that it's literally just four dudes sitting around in a round cement tablet that's the size of the inside of a minivan it has no toilet that that, that would be um i don't know about you guys but you're down there for like four days together now sitting across from each other crisscross applesauce that that would be a bit of a buzzkill right um but last night, late, it said that there were reports of the sounds of banging being heard. Yeah, every 30 minutes, right? Now, I, 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 I'm not trying to be like Captain Realist here, but I believe this is a, well, I don't know what the material is this is made out of, but I, I would assume if it is made to withstand 23,000 pounds per inch of water pressure, it's a fairly thick module capsule, right? How hard are these guys banging on it that they are under the assumption that it is managing to go through 4,000 meters of water depth? The sound of them banging on the side. Is that what they think this is? Is these guys are on the ocean floor? I used to bang the controller back in the day. <laughs> I mean, when I, I'm not trying to be. Issues with it. It, it, it. Look, listen, we're talking about human life. I get it. Yeah, I, again, but, but you I was, got these guys doing this, and we're supposed to assume that five thousand meters away from that, you can hear it through the water of the ocean. Yeah, I, I meant in all seriousness. I think the fact that this is the longest day of the year, you would think, would be a bit of good news. Uh, obviously, I hope they are found, but just the amount of risk that they took by doing this—it was totally reckless. And, and the other question, I am curious, like. Once they got there, was the plan just each person take a turn looking out the window? Well, so here's the other thing, Kevin. I mean, it's not like they were opening up the vessel so and that, being like, all right, let's so, just climb so on this the is, Titanic. This is what makes no sense. 
This is the part that makes no sense that no one's talking about, okay? No one's talking about the fact that these guys decided to take a septi tank underwater. Nobody's talking about the, or, or I'm sorry, everyone's talking about that. Or everyone's talking about the fact that they're sitting inside what looks to be the least comfortable thing on the planet. Everyone's talking about the fact that they're being guided by an Xbox controller and two fans that literally look like the kind that you buy at King's Island to keep yourself cool while you're waiting in line. Nobody's, talk, or nobody's talking about this fact, which is... They have one window that is the size of your computer screen. They're going into the, when I say pitch black, supposedly like the last mile and a half of the journey down to the ocean, it is not just pitch black, it is pitch, 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 pitch black. And they were using, they have screens on the inside where they're using, they're lighting it up and then use it looking through a computer screen like a television screen well you could do i could do that right now on youtube people have done this there's all kinds of video down there i'm like i don't know if they it hasn't changed i don't think that like they didn't redecorate the titanic right so they're going all the way down there to float around it while watching videos that you can see basically on youtube what in the hell I mean, I would have been thrown off the second I saw that vessel. They're like, oh, you're getting in here with four other people. Like, I'll stay ashore. Yeah, Maddie had an audible gasp last night when she saw the pictures. Just like, you know, horrified that like, oh my gosh, that's what they're in? Yes. And like, you just can't even imagine being in that. I I know everyone is on the edge of their seats. It's literally like going to Disney World flying to disney not even that it's like riding your bicycle to disney world to then get a room at the motel six across the street in orlando to watch fantasia and then go home well we are That's talking what these about people are doing a potential loss of life not sure the fantasia i, I get analogy it analogy is i i, I get it but like there. there's a there's also a, obviously kevin i mean it is you're right these are people's friends and family. I get it. There's a level of arrogance about this though that is through the roof the scariest thing to me is that they're bolted inside by 17 bolts so even they if they somehow yeah. floated to the surface someone still has to see them and be able to get them out of there like they're still stuck inside the sub unless someone undoes the 17 bolts that's holding in the top of it i liked the i saw an article yesterday that said a psychologist predicts that panic may be ensuing really i i, I took psychology 100 online and i can tell you that 36 hours away from the NBA draft. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, things will get underway for the Pacers. Again, five picks, 7, 26, 29, 32, and 55. Uh, We'll get you set leading into tomorrow night. Um, On on the Colts front, I think a couple of angles that um, some news that kind of came out yesterday. The NFL had a conference call regarding the league's gambling policy there are a couple elements of it that I do find like don't make sense to be frank with it. I, I don't say that to all of a sudden, you know, give Isaiah Rogers this like pardon for what he reportedly did if he did indeed do that. Uh, but still, there are a couple things that I'm like that does not make sense to me whatsoever from a gambling policy standpoint. Um, but again, lead in tomorrow night with the draft, Alex Golden's going to join us coming up. At 9 o'clock. Charlie Clifford, 8.30. Speaking of the Reds, Charlie Clifford here um, from Wish TV. Uh, you obviously heard him on these airwaves. 
He's now in Cincinnati working for the NBC affiliate there. And boy, quite the uh, introduction to that market. Did, did Charlie Clifford spark things for the Reds? That I might thought be. it was my carb day performance. That may be. Could be different there. Uh, ten in a row for the Red Lakes. Hope you are able to enjoy this longest day of the year here on this Wednesday, June 21st. So apparently somebody just sent me per the Today Show. Uh, there are several regulatory like commissions that a travel vessel like this needs to go through and none were checked off. I, I mean, I, I, again, from a compassion humanitarian standpoint, of course you hope they're okay. But what are we thinking here? What, what are we doing? I right? had a tech teacher, John Davis, that oftentimes when kids would act up in class, he would drop the phrase, what did you think would happen? <laughs> right. Now, Mark, you you tweeted out an interesting, I thought fascinating, um, video, what like a computer m- simulation of the depth of the floor of the ocean. Right? Yeah, it was horrifying. Why, why would because you because it's just it just kept going and you're like oh my god they're like okay enough like where's the floor of this thing and it just kept going at, at going one point it going. showed the empire state building the equivalent of the empire state building sitting on the ocean floor and it looked like if like you were figurine. to it looked like if you were to drop a plastic toy jack into a bathtub you know and the I mean? Statue of Liberty in there and all that other it's like oh my goodness but yeah it just kept going and going there there's a part where it stops and shows like the Titanic wreckage where it's at, and then just keeps going and bottoming out, bottoming out. You're yeah. Like, oh my God. I didn't I realize the imagine. Pacific Ocean's the deepest. It's like eight thousand feet or something. Oh, it's longer than that. Let me see. I got meters, I guess. Meters. Yeah, it's like, what's the longest? I want to say. I do know that the lake is uh, the deepest Pacific lake in the ocean. ocean Eleven thousand meters. Yeah, the the deepest lake in the in the world. Excuse me, is Lake Baikal of Russia. If you're ever watching Jeopardy, and the final Jeopardy is famous lakes, it's always Lake Baikal. Always, always go with that. That or Magna Carta, if it's famous documents. Um, the Charlotte Hornets apparently are set on Brandon Miller. That, according to Adrian Woods, set maybe the wrong word. They are. How is it that Woj always says it? They are zeroing in on. Oh, yeah, I forgot Woj plays plays that game tomorrow night. Uh, I think that makes sense. I think LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller, that's a nice duo. Obviously, LaMelo Ball has battled some injuries. Is Gordon Hayward still hanging in there with Charlotte? Has he still got another year he on is. that contract? He is basically their, you know, their third or fourth guy. Not bad for Max Money, but... You know, ESPN, um, Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN, their draft analyst mentioned yesterday in his mock draft the Pacers trading for a veteran and he listed three names Tobias Harris DeAndre Huntner and Dorian Finney-Smith are options that could be explored as well Uh, I think he ended up having Taylor Hendricks there at number seven to the Pacers but the veteran market how everything plays out of the next 36 hours and I know this is probably not something that maybe a lot of Pacers fans want to think about in regards to tomorrow night but when you if you are unable I think to move one or multiple of these picks for a veteran player Jake I wouldn't be opposed to move that pick for a 2024 first rounder because you are getting to a point in this rebuild where if you look ahead to future years you don't have multiple draft picks as of now and the cap space situation is not going to be as abundant as it is currently. Obviously, potentially later this summer, you're giving Tyrese Halliburton a well-deserved 
significant, significant contract. And so the amount of flexibility and optionality, the words we often hear, and Kevin Pritchard's done an outstanding job in creating that for this franchise and the rebuild, that's not going to be there. So I do think if you get to a point tomorrow night and, well, we already drafted someone at 7, we already took somebody at 26, here we are at 29, we got another pick at 32, I, I would not be opposed to that because I think you've got to make sure that you continue to set yourself up for different avenues to acquire talent moving forward. And to me, that's not delaying anything. I think it's just committing to what this rebuild is all about and making sure that in future years, when you are going to be in positions to hopefully acquire one or two piece that could put you over the hump, I do think that is something that this team uh, should explore. One of the things to me, Kevin, that's fascinating about the NBA draft you look at it right now, or, or you know, when you watch the draft itself, they're going to show you. You know, you, there's the profile pictures in the background of Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, and you know, Hendricks and all all these players. And then you talk about well, the the Pacers could go out and try to get themselves a veteran complimentary piece. Now give me the the names that you just mentioned. Yeah, there, for Tobias example. Harris, DeAndre Hunter, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, all of guys that when they came out. Their picture was the one that was floated, and and the yeah, Hunter the was a really high pick, wasn't right? And and they are the same ones. They, they got to get that guy. I, I'm telling you, my team's got to get that guy. He, he can play. And then, you know, you give it a year or two, and for the most part, a lot of guys they just become. And, and there's nothing wrong with being important pieces, but I think that we have in our mind that the NBA draft is all about getting. The big splash guy that is the franchise straw mixing the drink. And when it comes down to it, oftentimes, you know, I've told this story a thousand times. I mentioned it yesterday in our meeting when we were talking about Trace Jackson Davis. I had a conversation once of, and again, I always resort to, there are two great Pacer era teams in this for this market for people to relate to. The one is the Paul George, George Hill, David West group. You know, that group was obviously very, very good. And then the other is the team that went to the finals. And of the team that went to the finals, you had Reggie Miller, you had Rick Smith, you had Jalen Rose, you had Chris Mullen was a complimentary piece. Sam Perkins played well for them. Mark Jackson, obviously. And then the Davis brothers, although Antonio was not on the group that actually made it to the finals. And in talking to the Pacers brass of that era – it was fascinating to me. Reggie Miller was the star and was the guy that everything went through, etc. But in the build of that team, talking and Donnie Walsh told me flat out, Dale Davis was the most important piece of that team. That was the most important acquisition I made of any of them. And yet the year that they drafted Dale Davis, Kevin, I'm assuming there were a lot of people that were like, who? This guy, some, he averages like 11 a game at Clemson. But he did exactly what they needed and didn't have on their roster. And it opened up everything that they had envisioned that their franchise wanted to be. And that might be where Indiana is right now. They may draft a player tomorrow night that doesn't overwhelm you. But in the big picture, it fits exactly the peg wedge that they need for what they have envisioned. But it's a two to three year. Peg wedge? Is that a golf club? Um, I always thought of that as Trivial Pursuit, the little peg. It's like the the little slice of pie. Got it. 
Now, yesterday, speaking of uh, Peg Wedge Golf Clubs, we did that yesterday. We did. You, you were an impressive driver. We, we, we did swing the sticks a little bit. Uh, we are at, down at the back nine. Um, look for that video promo coming up. Uh, less than three weeks, July 11th. That will be the back nine of the fan golf outing presented by Franciscan Health. And so yourself... Um, me and JMV. You know, I thought JMV could swing it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he did. He had a nice swing. I thought he certainly could. I've uh, never touched a golf club in my life. How obvious was it? it? Uh, there were some moments where I, I, I certainly saw that. But the beautiful thing about the back nine, you're on a nice, you know, elevated multiple levels. You're hitting out into a, you know, massive uh, turf. Uh, a field isn't the right um, way to describe it. Driving range. And the ball just rolls. And so some of your shots, especially when you were low, it, when you kept it out of the wind, it was a windy day yesterday. When you kept That's it out right. of the wind, Jake. That's right. Well, I was trying to feel the, the ball wind was out. rolling. A little British Open type atmosphere yesterday at the back nine. So hopefully you guys can join us for that. Again, all, all skill levels. Certainly welcome. Um, some food, some music, some drink. It's going to be a great time at the back nine coming up here in a few weeks. I just retweeted the event page. You can win a free foursome uh, to that. So check out my Twitter account. And just uh, tweeted some details on that. You know, when you bring up Dale Davis, Jake, I, I, you know, I feel like the pick of Benedict Mather in last year that qualified as the you need another frontline score, right? Whereas now we shift the focus into where we're at on drafts eve this year. And to me, again, it's that defensive-minded wing. And the nice thing about the Pacers sitting there at seven, it seems like in their little cluster around them, it's a lot of wings. And in Jarrett Walker out of Houston and Taylor Hendricks out of Central Florida, they are different types of players. But to me, both of them have that defensive mindset. Walker's probably more of the powerful um, guy at 6'8 and 230. Hendricks a little bit longer of a prospect. Wingspan... Really long, and so does Walker, but I would say a little bit more just lankier, maybe, uh, is how you would describe them. But again, if that happens to be the pick coming up at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, I'm all in on it. I think the, to me, you have your guy in Tyrese Halliburton that is your offensive creator for the Pacers. You have your guy in Benedict Matherin that when he gets the ball can get his own shot and has a nasty competitiveness about him. You've got your guy in Isaiah Jackson that can make exciting plays around the rim, and you have Miles Turner that can protect the rim and facilitate transition and hit some shots for you offensively. What you need now is the guy that takes wing defensive pressure off of Halliburton or Houghton or Matherin and the guy that offensively is kind of a space eater that frees up lanes for them to get where they need to be to score the basketball and that nobody wants to mess with. An enforcer. A Dale Davis type, quite truthfully, is what they need. And I know that Dale Davis types, it's different now because you do need a guy that can score a little bit on the wing. But if you can get, like, this is probably ridiculous to say, but to me, Kevin, the kind, because I admittedly have a man crush on him, but... The kind of player that this particular Pacer group needs is a Jay Crowder. You know what I mean? A guy that hit will hit threes for you, but also like people look at and just go, oh gosh, just score on the wing, we got to go through that guy. And I think there are some people out there that, that believe Jairus Walker has a little bit of yeah, that I, sort of that. Uh, skill set 
to him. Uh, so again, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, I assume. Mark, do you know? Yeah, uh, we have coverage, right? I believe so. Uh, it looks like 7 o'clock is when our coverage begins mm-hmm. tomorrow night. 8 o'clock is when everything will get underway with the NBA draft. Again, Charlie Clifford going to join us coming up at 8.30. Charlie in Cincinnati working for the NBC affiliate there. Mark Dykton's absolutely, I would say, maybe the greatest show opening in the history of the show. There to lead things off on the Reds winning 10 straight games. So we'll chat with Charlie about that. And it's just wild to think you have a serious question right now about the Cincinnati Reds of, should they be buying at the trade deadline? But that's like where you're at right now. Yeah. I mean, the NL Central has got a little AFC South feel I mean, to it. hell yeah, right. And someone's got to win it. And, I mean, obviously, baseball and playoffs, anything can happen. So, uh, Charlie's going to join us at 8.30. We're going to have Alex Golden at 9 o'clock. I'm curious when Alex hops on with us. Obviously, Pacers draft-focused. Uh, is there anybody that we haven't given enough attention to at number 7? Um, if there's a name that maybe qualifies as that, I think it'd be Anthony Black out of Arkansas. A little bit more of a guard focus, a great driver, very, very streaky shooter, and that's probably giving him a compliment. Are you too jumbled back there? Is it still the best player available? Um, Again, the Pacers have been very, and important Pacers people, Carlisle Pritchard have been very public and saying defensive minded focus has got to be there. So I, I think that would cross off, you know, a little bit more of the guard focus guys in this draft class, but. You never know what's going to happen uh, coming up tomorrow night. So we'll chat about that and, again, get into the Colts conversation on a little update from a gambling violation standpoint there uh, and Jonathan Taylor contract talk here on this Wednesday morning. Happy summer solstice. Happy first day of summer. It's officially the first day of summer, right? The 21st? It is. Longest day of the year, like you said. And it's supposed to be cloudy by, like, noon, right? So enjoy it now, yeah. Uh, good Wednesday morning, Tim. Like Kevin. Longest day of the year. That's good news for the guys at the bottom of the ocean. I, I'd say that <laughs> little, in all seriousness. A little longer sunlight, boys. A, am I no, wrong not, on that? Not down there, there isn't. We're two and a half miles below the surface of the I, I'm water. I'm talking about the search and rescue efforts. <laughs> so they, As Mark said, if this better, vessel better is able t- to get to the top of the ocean, you obviously have to unbolt the vessel. And for people... Daylight and sunlight will be helpful. Kevin, I know this will stun you, but the United States Coast Guard and the other people that are looking for the septi tank at the bottom of the ocean, unlike the fellows in the septi tank, they probably have prepared for those sorts of things. They actually brought along like a flashlight, right? They're not running around with a couple of fans and and an Atari controller trying to move to four miles below the surface of the water. Jake's giggles about these four losing their lives right now. It's actually five. Uh, good Wednesday morning to you. Kevin Aquari right here, 93.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. You know, they do a parade in Cincinnati every year for opening day. They should do one now. Because the Reds continue to do Reds things, right? Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. 8-6 winners last night over the Colorado Rockies. And I think, Kevin, the big thing about this 10-game win streak that's exciting about the Reds, not only that it put them in first in the division, but also it happens to coincide, whether it's you know somewhat coincidence or not, with 
an exciting young prospect that seemingly is just bringing energy to everybody. And then you add Joey Votto, the veteran, as well. Yeah, obviously a ton of home, homegrown talent, but Ellie De La Cruz tops the list. Here was the home run last night from the young star. Though Ashcraft expected to come off and start this weekend. De La Cruz opposite way. Profar back. Ellie De La Cruz opposite way for home run number two. It's a 4-1 game. This is from ESPN. The Reds have won 10 consecutive games. They are tied for the third longest win streak by a team to lose 100 games the previous season in MLB history. They're two wins away from tying the vaunted 1890 Louisville Colonels. Atop I remember that, that the Colonels, that, that year too. They had some injuries. Really good small ball team. What are you looking at? What? what? Nothing. Mark just stared at me. Mark, uh, good Lots one for your Cubs yesterday. Took, went ran through the team dysentery that year. <laughs> that, that's right, yeah. yeah. Marcus Stroman, good? Very good. Cy Young uh, candidate, I believe. Uh, White Sox beat the Rangers. Tigers lose the Royals. Yes, the Guardians over you know, the, the A's. The pitching staff for the Colonels. And Cardinals Louisville. over the Nationals. They were constantly they were having to constantly stop the game and question them because they were always finger licking. Doubleheader for the Indians today over at Victory Field, uh, 105, first pitch, if you're looking for something to do here on this longest day of the year. Not even a little something there? I mean, no. Come on. Move on. <laughs> okay. Did you mention the cute fellow one yesterday? Uh, I don't think I did. Orioles over the race, 8-6. How about your Diamondbacks in our race for PBR? Lost. Oh, well, what do you know? 7-5 to the Brewers. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. The Athletics, were they in action yesterday? Yeah, they lost. I lost mentioned that. 3-2 to the Guardians. Okay, sorry. And the Kansas City Royals, JMV has Kansas City. They uh, were one nothing winners over the Tigers in what I'm sure was a thrilling matchup for people to watch. We got four teams left in the College World Series. That would be Florida, TCU, Wake Forest, and LSU. We've had a lot of one-run games from Omaha. So Virginia, Oral Roberts, Stanford, and Tennessee have been eliminated. Good to see TCU. You know, I, I thought that was great what they did, um, raising money for Special Olympics. Obviously, uh, they benefited from hosting that Super Regional against Indiana State. So TCU continues a really hot run, and Wake Forest um, has really been the best team in college baseball all year long. Of those four schools, Florida, Texas, Wake Forest, and LSU, which one would be the coolest to attend? Uh, Boy, LSU and Florida, hard to argue there. LSU's campus is beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. And I a could, lot of family down there with Mr. Kelly, Coach Kelly. That's right. Family. Wake Forest is a really good school. I don't think though. I'm smart enough to go to Wake Forest. Yeah, I think it's a really good school, right? There's like 6,000 kids that go to school there. It's like the butler of the of the Carolinas. Hard to uh, argue against LSU or Florida. I would assume a lot of talent there on campus. Well, sure. I mean, they're in the Final Four here. Yeah, go ahead, Talon, as well. Uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, the NBA draft. Again, our coverage will begin at 7. The Pacers are drafting at number 7 overall. Uh, 26, 29, 32, and 55. The other selections we'll see in the next 36 hours or so. Uh, what happens on the movement front? How active will the Pacers be? Again, a couple of veterans uh, being thrown around from a wing standpoint for the Pacers. We'll chat about that. And then... Other needs on the other side, you know, so much of this focus has been, all right, get the wing defender, a guy that can hit an open shot. Uh, Should we be be paying attention to um, any other needs for the Pacers? There was also a reported trade with Utah being discussed yesterday. It's actually one that I think I'm a fan of. So we can chat about that on the other side. Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Little Mango Jerry, is that right? To start us out here on the longest day of the year, the start of the summer solstice, easier for me to say. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5107.5, the fan on a gorgeous start to a Wednesday morning and the eve of the NBA draft. One of the things, Kevin, as we take a look at Indiana, there are multiple picks. We've talked about where, you know, there seem to be three or four players that are most often discussed for the Pacers. The other thing, too, that we haven't talked a lot about, we mentioned it yesterday, it's looking more and more, and I don't know if this is coming from, like, information from the the team and or agent or just what seems to be a natural fit, but it seems to be almost a consensus amongst those who make their living prognosticating such things that Jalen hood Shafino is probably not going to slide past Toronto at 13. Is he too old school? Is he too mid-range? Yeah, I, that, that is a... I, I think actually it's a really good question and, and, a, and point well taken. But I think part of it is that Jalen hood Shafino is the anomaly in that regard, right? And I think that people are starting to realize that while the the multi-player, multi-level guard is coveted, there is something to be said for guys that are a little bit unique like that and bring something to the table that that you know that that is you're bringing a spice to the pitch end that nobody else brought, and so therefore, if people like it, you're going to be around a while. And when you think about the Raptors, they have all the six eight, six nine wings, Fred Van Vliet, a free agent. You know, that fit there as more of a ball handler. Obviously the pick and roll game is a place that he excels. But you know, I, I say the old school in that not some dead eye shooter. I don't think he's attacking the rim with just incredible athleticism. Obviously he's still a really nice player and you know, mentioned it before, I kinda think a little bit more potential of like a Malcolm Brogdon type skill set with Jalen Huchifino. Jake, other Pacers needs. The wing defense is horrid. It has been for years now. Miles Turner just gets... You're just praying that Turner blocks shots well, to save yeah. the wing defense on a you know night in, night out. Trips down the floor. So we know that is the biggest need. Next on the list of needs, Jake, whether that be a skill, whether that be a position... Uh, where would you go? Outside shooting. Consistent outside shooting. And that's why, quite frankly, Kevin, I think they're going to be... Seven is a little tough. If they were drafting 10th, for example, I think this is more in the conversation. But uh, I, I do think that they are going to be intrigued by and tempted by Grady Dick of Kansas. You know, there was a, uh, a reported trade being discussed yesterday with Utah... I guess Utah it really covets Anthony Black, who we brought up in the opening segment out of Arkansas, and they want to get ahead of, I think it's Washington, I believe is right behind Indiana, and so they would trade with the Pacers for 
number seven. The Pacers would move from seven to nine, so they'd move back two spots. The Pacers would also then get pick number 16. So when you think about it, the Pacers' second selection right now in round one is 26. So you'd, you'd climb all the way up to 16. And what I'm curious about there is, if you're sitting there at nine... Could you still get a Taylor Hendricks? Could you still get one of these guys in Tier 3 you covet? And then when you come back at 16, I don't know if Grady Dick gets all the way to 16. And maybe this is too much of a bias from... Certainly I was dead wrong on Arizona, but you know, actually had that UConn pick right from a national championship standpoint. Jordan Hawkins from UConn was outstanding in that run. And you talk about an elite outside shooter... A guy that just, when you watch him, you get vibes of like body type and his ability to shoot from everywhere of kind of, you know, Reggie Miller, Clay, Clay Thompson, you know, looking prospect. Would that be the path that you go down? And again, this gets away from the quantity of picks and gets a little bit more into the, hey, can you get into the, you know, kind of high end quality selections? That would be an avenue because I do think Buddy Heald is a guy that has been so durable throughout his career, but he is in a contract year. And I think that skill set of him as an elite shooter can last for a couple more seasons, but I think you can never have enough. And so I would say outside of that wing defense, I would agree with you in that if you're able to find another really high-level shooter for your second unit and then maybe eventually slides into the starting lineup, I'm all for it. It's funny, though, because Hawkins is 21. You know, people are like, well, you know, he's a little old. <laughs> I mean, really? But I agree with you about Hawkins. I mean, he's a guy that his ability to – Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut strikes me as a lightning-in-a-bottle guy. And sometimes you need guys like that. Buddy Heald is that guy, too, to an, to an extent where, like, all of a sudden they get hot and it's just like, holy cow. You know, here they go. And it can turn games or it can jumpstart games. And, and that's intriguing for sure. I do think that – I do believe that if they had their choice, if both of them were there between Grady Dick and Hawkins, I think they'd go with Grady Dick because he's younger. And I think they think he's a more elite-level outside shooter. But I, I have concerns, as I mentioned before, about Grady Dick defensively. Kelly – Go ahead. I was going to say, if you're taking Grady Dick, it's because you're re- you're you're assuming that you're going to have to in the in the short term address defensively in other areas. Yeah, defense has got to be first, and then again, uh, I think shooting would be second on the list. If you want to get a little bit into kind of what I would also wouldn't mind seeing with maybe one of those end of the first rounders, just some young six eleven seven footer, you know, super raw, develop. You know, Turner is under contract for a couple more seasons. But if you are kind of turning the page with those backup centers, uh, especially with Daniel Tice, I do think that is an avenue to explore. Uh, Kelly mentions this. I don't want to trade back and collect more picks. We need to package picks and trade up. Yeah, I, I certainly hear that. You know, I brought this up to open up the show. And I know there are some people that don't love this line of thinking, but if you get late into the first round tomorrow night and you're sitting there thinking, guys, look at our roster. Look at the guys in our contract. We can't make any more selections. Where are we going to put these people? Like, <laughs> You can't just two-way contract everybody here. I would not be opposed at all to trading one of those late first rounders for a 2024 first rounder because this is a multiple-year process and once you start to get good, Jake, that's when you look at it and you're and you're shifting things from collect all the draft picks to trade draft picks for veteran pieces to get you over the hump. 
and oh boy, we're at the deadline this year, and all of a sudden, we're the four seed in the East, and we really feel like we've got the right makeup, and we just need one more piece. That's what I kind of like down the road a little bit. And again, moving forward, you don't have multiple picks in future drafts like this. Your cap space is going to get a little bit tighter as you start to pay Tyrese Halliburton much bigger money. So that is something that I would not mind at all uh, come late tomorrow night. You guys ever been to uh, yesterday? I was going to the gym and, and near my gym. There's an old Target that's been vacant for a long time, and then in December it opened up as the, speaking of the NBA draft and how you're going through and you're looking at all of the different, you know, there's a million different avenues you can go, and there's a million different picks you can take, and there's a million different ways that you can go with it. Um, I've passed by a hundred times on my way to the gym, the, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Saraga International Market. Either one of you guys been to this? Can't say I have. No, I, I cannot say. So uh, the original's on the west side over by Lafayette Square, but they opened one up in the old Target in Castle. Which has a ton of international and, cuisine, like in that 38th Street totally. area right off Lafayette. So I'm like, you know what? I, I'm curious what this is. Holy cow. Like, I don't know what I expected, but you could spend, I, I could have spent a half a day in there. I, I Like, this might be my part-time job is working at that grocery store. It was oh. the most unbelievable place. Like, Sinar, Kroger. It literally is 25 aisles of, like, you know how you go into a regular grocery store and you look up in the aisle and it says, like, coffee, chips, you know, uh-huh. whatever. This one, it's by region of the world. And I'm not talking like generically like, oh, it's the Mexican aisle. They sell rice and, you know. Taco seasoning. Yeah. I mean, this is like, oh, I'm sorry. You wanted pistachio spread with red Ecuadorian chili in it? Okay, well, that's in the Ecuador section. I mean, it literally was cuisine and snacks and canned goods of every region of the world and the other thing that was cool about it i literally and it was crowded i mean it was there was a good good buzz and activity in there i was the only caucasian american in the place which right there means it's totally authentic right i mean it's Mm -hmm. like and and people were like had their grocery carts and were excitedly shopping for whatever was you know part of their culture which was totally cool you guys Um, got any of those ketchup chips from canada thank you for asking kevin i enjoyed and tried a and they were fabulous ketchup flavored potato chips from south korea whoa Mm -hmm. i I think they were potato chips they were chips but they wow fabulous didn't have to go to seoul to get it fabulous i bought a bottle of jufron banana sauce which they used to have at paco's cantina and broderpole that's actually native I, i think that's from panama Fantastic. Now, should we be worried about your intestines with some of this stuff? Well, because that's, you're, you, you know, you've admitted the palate isn't the most. <laughs> they said it's a 13-hour window before you find out. We'll see, right? I, I, I don't know if I should admit this on air, but I do feel like I commit a crime when I go to the grocery on a rather frequent basis. Uh, the crime would be this, and I'm really hoping Mark Dykton chimes in here and is like, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. I actually have done that before. Um when Rosie and I go to the grocery together, uh, I give her a banana and have her eat the banana, and then I just don't pay for it. Oh. Is that is that allowed? Not I, usually. That's petty theft, my Should friend. I put my hand on the scale, like, with the yes. other bananas when I'm paying out to, like, add the weight? Usually, I, I, the grocery stores these days have, like, the fruit that you can get a free one. Like, I think it's Fresh Time and stuff has oh, a section really? where 
You get like a, a the kid can get like an orange or a banana or an apple. That's the not so fresh time for that's right. Yeah, yeah, but but still, it's free now enough to steal it. I know, and I kind of I feel I mean, like I feel with the self checkout thing, they've kind of taken on their own liberty of risk, right? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not like, I mean, I I would like to think that's not a major crime, but. Yeah, I mean it's kind full, of a pity full transparent. So you um, think put the hand on the scale next to the three bananas next? Well, time? you know you're supposed to be able to type, and then I like to. I know. You, it's I like when you lay down four, the banana one, one, and it right? says what one. kind of banana, and like the one banana is a dollar ninety nine a pound, and the other is twelve cents a pound. Well, who puts in the dollar ninety nine yeah. a pound one? Um, one other thing, by the way, I wanted to pass along. Um, you guys, I, I don't think I, I knew you guys when I was doing this, but. When I was a kid, I've mentioned this before, when I was a kid, especially on days like today, they used to have hot dog carts all around Indy, and they may still, but when I was a kid, my mom would bring me down, and we would get hot dogs, and she'd say, find some of the, the guys on benches and gals, and let's have hot dogs with them, and you can talk to them, and I would talk to them about the Reds and whatever else, and we'd drive home, and my mom would say, well, how many friends did you make today? And I'd say, oh, I made two and a half friends. Well, what do you mean? And, well, one was only a half friend, because I talked, but they didn't say anything to me. Um, that's so like that most a, of your relationships. Yeah, I was say, yeah, that was a half friend. Yeah. Been there, Mike Byron um, or whoever else you were talking to. So, so yeah, that, that's always been. I've, I've been more of the talker than the listener. Um, but later, when I was an adult, you know, it, my mom, at her urging, I, I had the epiphany that the people that I was talking to were homeless, and I didn't think about that when I was a kid. And my mom said, "Well, don't let that change when you're an adult." And I know that there are a lot of homeless people in downtown Indianapolis today, um, and there are a lot of things that we can talk about for, at another time about that. But a couple of years ago, when I was between jobs, I did a project where I did a thing called 30 Lunches in 30 Days, where every day, thanks to Hotbox Pizza, I got together with different people facilitated by Wheeler Mission and sat and had lunch with them and listened to their story and what led them to be homeless. Because I think there's the stigma from people that every time you pass a person on the street, you think, well, they're homeless because they did drugs or they're crazy or whatever else. And I, and I heard the journeys that led people to this. And I, I saw, I would say childhood trauma was the number one theme that I heard. But the 29th person out of the 30 that I sat with was a guy named Steve Dykus. And Steve was a, a the kind of guy that walked in the room and had kind of a snarl about him and was built like just an absolute monstrosity. And a big dude and he sat down and kind of had an attitude about him and we started eating pizza and we started talking and Steve told me his story and Steve just started talking and he talked about how he was orphaned at the age of 16 and he turned to gang life and he'd been shot in the leg when he was a younger man and he, he really had a lot of challenges but at his heart I could tell that Steve was truly deep down in there there was a really a fun loving huge big-hearted guy so at the end of the lunch, Steve said to me, man, I want to thank you. And I said, well, why? And he said, because for whatever reason, today's the day I felt like talking and you listened. And, and I remember thinking like, well, that's the opposite of the way it used to be for me, but okay. Um, and I said, well, let's stay in touch. And we did. And Steve ultimately ended up getting housing. He lived in a temporary hotel that from the old airport that they used to house the homeless and so when he got that place, he called me, and he was so happy and proud that he had gotten housing again, and then he got back on his feet. So we went, and we went out and had pizza again and went to Kroger, and I'll never forget seeing him with that cart 
and he was so elated. And I remember at that time, Kevin and Mark, thinking that that we, especially me, I, I was raised and I was fortunate to be raised in an environment where success was defined by what society deems to be success, an education, a job, money. But success varies from person to person and from barometer to barometer. And in Steve's case, success was found in the fact that he found footing again and he was getting his life in the right direction. And I was so proud of that for him because I could see the pride that he had in it. And I think that oftentimes we pass people that are on the street, and I know it's easy for people to drive around downtown Indy and think that what they're seeing is failure, but in fact, those are people that still have somewhere deep down their mold of attainable success. And last night, I hadn't talked to Steve in like a month, and I don't know why, but last night I just decided, you know what, I haven't talked to Steve Dykus in a while, because we stayed in touch fairly regularly, and he actually ended up getting an apartment over near Irvington. And I texted him, and he didn't text back. And so we are Facebook friends. So I looked on his Facebook last night to learn that on Monday afternoon, Steve was shot and killed. And it um, it, it really upset me because, you know, I've, I've lost people. We all have. But that was different because it just was sad to me. But... I took joy in the fact that I knew that Steve found his success. And so I just wanted to take five minutes today or however long I just took to remind people that when you drive past somebody that looks like a nuisance, that looks like an eyesore and that looks like a lost part of our society, it is still somebody that in their own world has attainable their own success. And I am grateful to Steve Dykus that he taught me that. And for those people that were friends or family of him, um, I, I offer them the best, and I hope that they can find that he had his own victory. So um, I was thinking about Steve last night and this morning, and there's a lot of people that you see like out and about on the street that might be a Steve also. So I wanted to pass that along. So thank you for allowing me to do so, and Charlie Clifford's going to talk to whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Just in 30 minutes because the Reds are the hottest team in baseball. You remember when you were a kid, Kevin? Like, I couldn't wait until that point in the summer where you didn't know what day it was. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Without doubt. It's, it's been my life for like 12 years. But the worst is when you get the, you start seeing like the school supply ads. Oh, and like, Come yeah. on, Target, <laughs> get the hell <laughs> yeah. out of here. You're I mean, right. especially nowadays because it's what, late July, it seems like. Yeah. You know, people are going back. The back to school sales are the it, worst. And I would love to see the Colts training camp schedule come out here soon because I do think there are a lot of people, a lot of school kids that love to, you know, head out to Grand Park. And I've said this before, it's outstanding that in 2023 with 90-some percent of the NFL closing camp or having at their team facility that the Colts still go away for camp. And I say away, I know it's not you know Anderson or Terre Haute. Um, I think it's really cool. And it's free, and it's a great opportunity. The access is tremendous, how close you're able to sit there at Grand Park compared to, you know obviously, what you would pay uh, to go to a, any game, preseason game or a regular season game at Lucas Oil. Yesterday, the NFL had a... Um, conference call about the league's gambling policy and you know a lot of it I certainly agreed with there were a couple elements though that I'm just like this makes very little sense to me and I say that not to like give 
Isaiah Rogers an excuse or anything like that. Um, again, assuming that the reports are true. These are the six rules the NFL has for their players in terms of gambling. Don't bet on the NFL. Don't gamble at your team facility. Don't have someone bet for you. Don't share team inside info. Don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. Don't play daily fantasy. Now, the let's go back to the second to last one there. That's the one I have an issue with. Who cares if I go into a sports book? But here's the thing. That makes it almost... That's an unfair one, and let me tell you why. If you play for the Green Bay Packers, I, I used to... Packers suck! <laughs> Kevin, when, when I was younger, I remember the Thursday night football. Back when, when Thursday night football first was becoming a thing. Matter of fact, it might have even been Sunday night football. Which one was on TNT and like Mike Patrick was the play-by-play guy for it? That might have been Sunday night football. TNT, really? Boy, I'm talking mid-90s. Oh, no, uh, no the idea, Colts though. had a long snapper named Bradford Banta. Nice guy out of USC. He was a tight end. And... When I worked at the cigar store, Bradford Banna would come in every once in a while. I mean, we were basically the same age, but he really was a nice guy. And he would occasionally ask myself and Larry Langley and, and John Talbo and the guys that I worked at the cigar store with, like, hey, do you guys want to meet up this Sunday and watch, I think it was, it must have been Sunday nights, watch the games, the game. I mean, you know, Washington and Philly are playing and we would go to a place up in Clearwater and get, you know, I mean, it was totally innocuous. We'd get chicken fingers and wings and watch the game, right? Well, in Las Vegas, if you are a Raider and you're on your bye week or you played on Thursday night football and now it's Sunday night and a couple of guys are like, let's go watch games and and go eat wings and watch games. 90% of the places in Vegas they would go to are sports books. Yeah, and they right. made it clear on the call yesterday that the rules apply for Vegas and that franchise the same that they do for the other I mean, 31. I just don't understand the don't enter a sports book. The other couple issues I had. Um, we used to do, Kevin, uh, I did a, play, imagine this, last radio station I worked for, we did an afternoon Colts player show from one of the casinos. They came to the casino and right. sat in the casino and did two hours of radio with me. Now, I don't think that the, the casinos here in Indiana have sports books in them, right? Uh, I think it's just oh, no. I think it's just Northwest Indiana does. Okay, but like not Anderson or Shelbyville. Correct. Uh, there was a comment yesterday that rookies now have to go through mandatory training on the policy. My question to that is, why wasn't this always in place? Correct. I mean, that should be rookie orientation 101. I mean, one of the first, because rookies do spend a little bit extra time in the facility um, outside of the veterans this time of year to just, okay, this is what life in the NFL is all about. You know, we'll help you with your, you know, your financial help here, you know, real estate help here, all of those things. Um, That to me would have been a no brainer and exactly something that they should have had in place. all the other you know years ever since the gambling policy was first instituted and then the last one and i guess this is more for the other employees like if you work in the colts ticketing department you can't bet on any sport so players are allowed to bet on other sports but if you work in ticketing or marketing or you you're blue the mascot you are not allowed to bet on 
on other sports. That to me, like I don't get the why are players allowed to do some of it, but well, isn't doesn't don't the sportsbook Taylor apps, can't bet on the Kentucky Derby? Don't don't this don't the Colts take sponsorship money from the apps? Yeah, and again, this gets into kind of the murky, you know, the NFL and franchises are obviously in bed with all of these different gambling apps, but I I don't understand why players would be allowed to do some of the gambling. Right. But Well, so in other words, the the apps are the only sponsor the Colts are taking money from that they encourage their employees to not patronize. Well, not even encouraged. Like you, you're right. not allowed. <laughs> I, I, and I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the the woman or the man who takes phone calls or distributes the mail in the building. Yeah, I don't explain that one to me. Why? I, I, there are a lot well, of because they have access to players. Probably. I mean, I, I would assume but that's it's it. other sports. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Like so. Anthony Matt, Taylor Richard- can't, Matt Taylor can't put a bet on his Reds. Anthony Richardson could, yes, Anthony Richardson could bet on the Belmont. Matt Taylor cannot bet on the Belmont. That doesn't add up to me. I think there's a lot of parts of the gambling policy, NFL-related, that I agree with. The integrity of the game, you cannot jeopardize that whatsoever. But some of that stuff that I just read there, don't enter a sports book. Why weren't rookies always doing this mandatory training? And then the last one, employees, to me, the, the business side employees should be allowed to do the same things that the players are. The the Isaiah Rogers story to me is fascinating because it intertwines the two most dangerous things about being a professional sport in 2023, a professional athlete in 2023. The two most dangerous things, the two traps, the two literally swirling like water spout that you can get pulled into if you're an athlete in 2023 are gambling which has probably always been the case and social media and i'm not saying that eventually it wouldn't have come out with isaiah rogers and i'm not saying that doing something and not getting caught makes it any less a crime but three weeks ago or whatever it was I get a text message from somebody that says, hey, I know a guy that knows a guy that talked to a guy that plays for the Colts that is being investigated for gambling. I said, really? And I get a little bit more information. I reach out to somebody else and I go, hey, what do you think of this? And we both are like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Uber driver says Andrew Luck had snowboarding accident, you know? And then... Literally within like three hours, it comes out on a some obscure website. I don't mean that to, to belittle the website itself, but on a website, there's a report. The NFL is investigating a gambling situation and one like peripheral starter is involved. And I'm like, okay, now there's not only smoke, there's a spark here. So there might be fire. And then what happens, but Isaiah Rogers goes to social media and posts a big thing. Yeah, it's me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. It's terrible. And so you're thinking, okay, well then, and the Colts come out and go, we have, we didn't know about any of this. What's going on? And the Colts are literally asking the reporters that are calling them for comment, like, well, what are you hearing? Because we're not hearing anything. It's been how long now, Kevin? Three weeks? Sounds right, yeah, early June. If Isaiah Rogers had never said a word to anybody, 
then all we had to go by was just some guy, some some sports page that sent one tweet that that was a big, not even a ripple, but like was a little bit of noise for like four or five hours and people were like, what's going on? But once he sent that out, then he basically stood up on top of the mountaintop and was like, I'm here. I took the banana from Kroger. and Typically Meyer, but yeah. And so social media and his feeling of necessity of like getting involved in that, again, I'm not saying it, that it that it would have been okay for him to do it and never be caught, but we've never heard anything more about it. And I'm like, would would this even be in the, like, is it possible that he would have inked a deal and gotten it before any of this came out and nobody would have even known about it had he not mentioned that it was him? If I'm not mistaken, I feel like Stephen Holder and ESPN had reported it was Rodgers before he tweeted that out. So I, I think we maybe would have had kind of those ancillary s- sort of reports, but you know, obviously the Colts confirming it or the NFL confirming it outside of we are aware of the investigation and we'll provide further details at a later. We're still gathering facts. Right. Um, Tim makes a good point. Players have a union. The other Colts employees do not. Yes, that is that is a good point. Again, it it still doesn't explain to me kind of the full. Well, I guess it explains, but I I don't agree with the fact that the other employees um, cannot bet on other sports. Again, I'm not talking football. Other sports. Uh, Trey points out here, Shelbyville and French Lick have sports books. I, I knew that. I've been to the French Lick sports book there. Clearly didn't win uh, because I am uh, care not to uh, not to remember that. Um, it is, it, and we'll see how the Rodgers thing obviously plays out from a punishment standpoint and what goes from there. But I do think it's pretty wild to look at the cornerback depth chart right now exiting the spring. And by the way, 1075thefan.com, I posted a depth chart earlier in the week of what I think things look like offense and defensively uh, heading into training camp from a depth chart standpoint. Jake, you're starting corners right now. And like unquestionably, you're starting corners. One is, in my opinion, the most disappointing Colt from last season. And now he's in a contract year, and just given the nature of that depth chart, he might be one of your more indispensable Colts this season, and that would be Kenny Moore. Uh, And the other starting corner that, I don't know if I'm writing it in Sharpie on paper right now, but it's in in pen, and you, you know, look for your whiteout, is Dallas Flowers, and in mid-December of last year, Jake, Dallas Flowers had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. With a month to go in the season, he had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. And here we are, nine months later, and he's a definite starter at corner. It's it's crazy how that position group has changed so much and how it is just littered with inexperience. And again, we'll get to training camp here in a little over a month. And a guy like Juju Brents, a second-round pick out of Warren Central, he's going to have a great opportunity. Didn't participate in the spring due to a wrist injury. He's going to have a great opportunity to be, I think, that third corner, that other outside corner when you get into your nickel packages. Uh, you know, Darius Rush, the fifth-round pick out of South Carolina. A couple of obscure veterans in Daryl Baker Jr. and Tony Brown. I mean, that is a position group that... We're not talking about a bunch of right guards and left guards. I mean, corners matter big time. Uh, it is a group that just is wildly inexperienced. And then uh, you got Kenny Moore, a guy that, again, I think qualifies as the most disappointing player from last season. Yeah, the Kenny Moore is going to have to have a big-time bounce-back year, right? Huge. 
for the team and individually. I, I guess contract year for in him. Kenny Moore's case, Kevin, you almost want to ask yourself like which who's the real Kenny Moore, right? I think that's a fair question. I, I think that's a fair question, and that was probably one of the more. The Colts haven't had a lot of these that kind of bleed into the public eye of. Yeah, I had issues with the coaching staff. The coaching staff had issues with me. Kenny Moore, I think, qualifies as that from last season. The Colts haven't had a lot of those, you know, volatile characters in a locker room. And, and I don't think even Kenny necessarily qualifies as that. But in a very professional manner, he said that and the Colts staff said that. Of like, guys, we were not on the same page at all. And so how he reacts to that in a second season with Gus Bradley, that's a dude that really wants Matt Eberflus back. He's a guy that I think thrived in that system, and it was one year, but he did not have that sort of uh, season at all last year. Cornerback giving you like left tackle vibes from last season. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, Mark. Yeah, and, and again, I've said this before. I'm okay with playing the youth there. I just think we all need to accept it. it it's more just kind of wild to me how much that position has changed in nine months. I mean, Dallas Flowers was. Nowhere. I mean, Jake brought him up because he went to Pittsburgh State and they're the gorillas. And now all of a sudden he's right. like, I mean, when you list the. He had one good in the, in the uh, Dallas Flowers, I remember. What was it? The, he had like a, a kind of a fun interception in preseason or whatever. And I think almost jokingly, I'm like, yeah. I love that guy. You know, yeah. And now at the positions that really matter in the NFL, Mark, to your point, left tackle. Wide out, defensive end, corner. You know, one of those ones, non-quarterback. You've got a dude that all of a sudden has become a really important player with the trade of Stephon Gilmore and potentially a very long absence for Isaiah Rogers Sr. Do we get the Isaiah Rogers Sr. news dump at uh, Friday at 5 o'clock, July 4th week? Is that your prediction? I I mean, it is. When did the John Morant thing come out? Wasn't that Friday, last Friday? I do think they did a nice job with the John Morant Waiting past the parade, too. Mm-hmm. I was glad they kind of gave Denver their moment, but that was, I mean, that was what, Friday midday? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I could see Friday, July 4th weekend. Dylan Brooks for the Pacers? Yeesh. No, thank you. That's the type of skill set you need, though. Uh, it's one thing to have a skill set, it's the other to, like, constantly go on and on about having it beyond your level of capability, right? I mean, he did not have a good playoff, obviously. I I would not do it, but it's that type of player this team needs. I saw yesterday, I forget where I read this, that Desmond Bain for Memphis is like going to get a max contract. You want to talk about an obscure dude from the state of Indiana that is going to go down as one of the better modern Indiana players the state of Indiana players, and uh, you know, is going to make a whole lot of money in his career. Desmond Payne's got to be close to the top of the list. Who was the dude? What a fringe Indiana All Star? Yeah, out of out of Richmond. Yeah, didn't even go to Richmond. Went to um, he went to a small school, yeah, right? Like Seton a- Catholic, and then goes to TCU. And talk about a hell of a career for him. He looks like a linebacker to me. I, back to Dylan Brooks. Like, where does he end up? Did he talk his way out of the NBA? No, uh, no, I, I, I don't think we're there. But that it will be really interesting. I mean, that, he's that, a, and also the Draymond Green is Draymond Green just you know a slam dunk to return to Golden State. I think Draymond Green could be his Brooks's replacement at Memphis, right? Oh boy, John Moran and Draymond Green. 
Oof. Dylan Brooks gives me like he's going to be on like the Houston Rockets next year or something like that. Yeah, I mean somebody will will pay for it. And I this is probably a little little bit of a slippery slope because I'm not of this thinking. I'm not of this thinking that the Pacers, you know, oh my, they, Jake, they need guys in the community that you know they need guys that you know choir boys. I, I'm not there, but I think you've got a really nice core in place, and it, by all accounts, off the floor, you've got some guys that. You know, Halliburton strikes me as the guy you want leading this. And again, Matherin's just edge, I think, is really important as well. I don't know if you want to bring in some dominant personality that could ruffle that. There might be a point in this rebuild where you do want to shake some things up, but I think for now, you continue to let Halliburton lead and Matherin be, you know, kind of that different personality right. to play off him. I mean,. It seems like, you know, for the Pacers, let's be honest, their core is there, right? You got a pretty good idea. Yeah, I think you need one more, you know, really important piece to it. Let's put it this way. What 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 team, Kevin, give, give me a, a, a team of, like a great NBA team of the last 10 years. Like, not, not like a one-year anomaly, but like a, a truly great team. Golden State. Okay. So, for Golden State... You know if you are the Pacers. So Steph Curry is your Halliburton, right? That's the guy that the ball's going through them. He's the the, trend, the tone setter. Um, Matherin, you're hoping, becomes your Clay Thompson, right? What player, what, what member of Golden State are the Pacers missing? Yeah, it, it is probably like a Draymond piece. Or even like a... a Jordan Poole. Yeah, Jordan Poole's a good one. Yeah, I think you have your all-star in Halliburton. You hope to have an all-star in Matherin. Now it's who's that third or fourth option. You know, if you look at Denver in the playoffs, again, we're not comparing, and I know you weren't doing this, Jake, we're not saying that Halliburton is Jokic and Matherin is Jamal Murray, but in this sort of rebuild, that's what those two pieces represent. Now the question, I think, is, okay, you still need a Michael Porter, and an Aaron Gordon type. And, 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 you know, Turner and Heald, I think, in their own ways, can be like that. But obviously, long-term, you don't necessarily have a question. Or that isn't as much of a sure thing. Heald, given his age, Turner probably a little bit more, just his contractual value. And then, I don't think injuries are a huge deal with them, but he certainly has had some in his career. Okay, Charlie Clifford going to join us in a few to talk about the Red Legs. Uh, Coming up at 9 o'clock, a little bit more on the NBA draft front with Alex Golden setting the pace as the podcast there. We'll get his thoughts leading into tomorrow night. Uh, Let's lead off this morning checkdown with the hottest team in baseball. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Ten in a row, folks. The Cincinnati Reds. Did, they you, have... did you understand my text, by the way, Kevin? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Another one for the... I gotta follow the whole acronym. And you did ten of them, didn't you, Timmy? Yeah. Now, Kevin, as this a, one belongs to the Reds, correct? In in, ac- in acronym form, ten times. That was re- very well done by you. Ten in a row, man. Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. The Reds have won ten in a row. They have won ten games in a row, I believe, four times since eighteen ninety nine. But they have only once then won the eleventh, and I believe that was a twelve game streak in nineteen fifty seven. So we, we got a day game today, something like that. 
Are we jinxing it? Are the Reds, yeah, 12-35, first pitch against the Rockies. Oh, there's time for us to still make it down. Andrew Abbott on the mound. I love we, that. We all three go leave from here, go home, and in time to shower for the first time, not together, hopefully separately, what? and re- meet back up. And then, <laughs> oh, wow, you didn't need to throw that in. Boy, there. summer solstice. I believe <laughs> I just said. Right there. I believe I just said not together, but individually. And then we that. meet back up and we go down to the Reds game, right? Strong clarity there from Jake. Uh, Charlie Clifford thrilled to join us in a few. We'll talk more about the Reds with him. Uh, other baseball scores from yesterday. Mark, Cubs, great pitching, great defense over the Pirates. 4 nothing there. Hell yeah. White Sox over the Rangers. Tigers lose the Royals 1-0. My A's, a tough one for the Guardians. Jake, you said uh, Orioles got the dub? Orioles did get a win yesterday. As a matter of fact, cute fella. Remains hot. 8-6 over the Rays. Doubleheader over at Victory Field today for the Indians. Over the Rays, mind you. How about that? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, cute fella, man. They're, gonna, they're just going to hang around all year. Hey, root for me. LSU 5 uh, nothing winners over Tennessee in the College World Series. TCU over Oral Roberts. Uh, is that right? Yeah, uh, Oral Roberts eliminated. I thought TCU... Is TCU... TCU's alive, Florida's alive, LSU and Wake, right? Those are the four left. Yeah, you're right. Could, could be a pop quiz question. Today. Uh, Aaliyah Boston, Eastern Conference player of the... Was it month or week for her? I believe it's week. They are out west. They're off to Thursday, right? The Fever? Uh, Out west for a four-gamer starting tomorrow. Aaliyah Boston averaged 22 points, 9.3 rebounds, and 1.7 blocks for her this past week. On the flip side of that franchise, the Pacers again. The draft tomorrow night. Our coverage will begin at 7. The draft officially starts at 8. You know one of the best things I love about the NBA draft? Five minutes in round one, two no minutes doubt. in round no two. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Yep. It still ends up going to like midnight though. Well, but, but I'm I'm good with it. Especially on a Thursday night. Mark. You know what I also like? There's not like some super weird full embracing like almost like squeezing too tightly hugs from the commissioner when they get up on the stage. Yeah, there are some moments to go back to your showering together comment where you think Roger Goodell could be doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we just move past that and we just don't have to talk about it again. Is Adam Silver the only commissioner not to be booed in a draft setting? He gets a little bit booed, doesn't he? Does he? I think a little bit. Are we still Radio City Music Hall for the NBA draft or have we started to move that around? Well, they've moved that around because remember it was here in 94... Uh, when the NBA Glenn draft Robin, was here? Yep, Glenn Robinson really? went number one overall, and that was the year that the Pacers picked Bailey in the second round, and the whole crowd was chanting, Bailey, 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 and then they get up to the Indiana Pacers select Damon Bailey from Indiana, or actually the University of Indiana. Everybody went crazy. Hell yeah. I believe there is a press conference later today to announce some of the events around All-Star Weekend coming up in February. I keep on forgetting I the All-Star Game is here. Yeah. That's I now mean, walk me through be... that schedule. Thursday night they do nothing, right? Friday you get like the celebrity game and the futures game, the skills challenge, that kind of thing. Well, Saturday oh, that's skills, Saturday skills, slam challenge. dunk, three. I think point, Thursday might Sunday's be. The game. Isn't there a? Am I thinking of Final Four? Isn't there also a college three point shootout that takes place? I feel like they do that Final Four weekend, college wise. It'll yeah. be people will be stunned. At the number of, I mean, the Super Bowl, obviously, it's not to that level, but it's way more than people guess on the number of people that will be here in Indy and the number of events around town. More global? I think so. Infiltration, for lack of a better term, to the city versus the Super Bowl? 
Is that giving All-Star Weekend too much credit? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, well, certainly probably more global eyeballs. I mean, I, I'm yeah. sure globally the, the Super Bowl does massive numbers too, but that's just because it's in the U.S., whereas I think there's more actual knowledge of what's going on globally for the All-Star game. Uh, Charlie Clifford, he joins us on the other side. Again, the Reds, the hottest team in baseball. Charlie's with the NBC affiliate down there in Cincinnati. We will chat with him on the other side. Kevin Aquari, 93. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 5107.5 The Fan. Mark Dykton, did you just get pranked by Charlie Clifford? I did. He got me good, too. Oh, my gosh. I got totally gosh. thrown off. Charlie, outstanding. Walk us through this prank. I don't think Mark has ever been pranked. Um, first of all, great to hear your voice, KB. I I may have screwed it up, but it did work. So I what? answered the phone and just said, Jay Heilman Brewing Company, which, you know, I was going along with your Blue Ribbon joke, but now that I'm thinking about it, I think they I think they brewed old style back in the day. Maybe that wasn't Blue Ribbon as well. I don't know. I need to phone a friend here. Outstanding. Mark, your reaction was? I was like, wow, I must have really, like, because the nine on the on the keypad stuck. So I was like, maybe I hit an extra nine and I just dialed someone different. Hey, it's early for everybody. What's Boy, going on? Charlie's pulling off pranks as good as the Reds are playing baseball. Uh, things are great, man. How is, uh, oh my God. How, how's life in Cincy? I'm giving you all the credit for sparking this unbelievable run by the Reds. I know. And I, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. I, there's no coincidence here. It's been it's been fun. Young team, out of the blue season. I mean, yesterday they designated Will Myers for assignment, which was the only player not named Joey Votto currently on the payroll, making over two and a half million this year. I mean, it's just hmm. it's making money. It's making Moneyball look like the Yankees. I mean, truly, and I mean that in the most respectful way. I mean, these it is a bunch of guys trying to prove that they belong here. And uh, I think 500 would have been a huge success, and any Reds fan would have taken that. And instead, to, to have this run and to be in the middle of an NL Central that, um, you know, will not, will not scare any of these young guys away. I mean, it, it's going to be a fun summer here. There's no way around it. Charlie, I know for a lot of people here – baseball team you know it was interesting to me when I was in the situation you are of when I went to St. Louis so going to a market where baseball is you know a major theme in the summer because what I found interesting was each series teams would win or lose in different ways Mm -hmm. and you know covering a baseball team is different than just being a casual fan so I wanted to know from your perspective this sudden awakening of the Reds and this streak comes because they are doing what i think it's the base pass i think everything starts there everyone in this lineup minus Votto and who's ever in the catching spot each night is a legitimate threat on the bases this isn't a home run hitting team they are not going to rely on the long ball and i think that bolds well if if they are able to get into the postseason out of the central but You've seen the stuff go viral with Ellie De La Cruz. He's not the only one that's taking the extra base. David Bell deserves a ton of credit. I think his demeanor with this young team 
you know, he'll get fired up and he'll get thrown out, what seems to be every other week, you know, once, but he's so even keeled. And I think that's important because, look, there's a log jam and he's having to put certain guys on the bench each night that probably deserve to stay in there uh, because of how deep this team's become in like a month's time. But yeah, I think everything starts on the bases, and then and the bullpen's just been. I think for Reds fans listening, you're like, oh my gosh, how how did it come together this well? I mean, Alexis Diaz now twenty for twenty and saves. He'll be in the All Star game, no question about it. And you know, it's just been a perfect storm, really. So I'll stick with that analogy. That Cardinals team, for example, that I covered had yeah. kind of like Ellie De La Cruz in the fact that. There was a rookie player that had been on the radar coming up through the ranks, and people were excited about him. And then he just took the league by storm. He was the buzz of baseball. Everybody was excited. He was different, and it was Ricky and Keel. And Ricky and Keel, while a, a wonderful player, he was really arrogant. He was really reckless, and it all collapsed on them. And then yeah. he came back and reinvented himself elsewhere. Ellie De La Cruz, I have no idea what he's like. So my question for you is what kind because he has the same grip on this franchise, but what kind of player or guy does he or what kind of guy does he seem to be at this point? Well, he can throw 96 from third base and he could probably locate it better than Ankeel did. So maybe that's a start, <laughs> but um I don't know if that's saying much. <laughs> yeah, no. A little high there, Rick. Let's bring yeah. it. Um he is He's working on his English, but this guy has had a smile on his face, you know, since day one, actually before day one. Olivia Ray, who I know plenty of folks miss in India as well, she went down in um, to Louisville before he got called up and did a you know lengthy sit down. You know, this is a young man, youngest of nine kids. Um, you know, grew up in an apartment in the Dominican Republic. You know, came from a situation that, you know, I think we can all nod our heads and say, wow, that just the odds there to even have a chance to play professional baseball. And I, I think he carries with, you know, that with him every night. I mean, he, he's having fun. He's not stress, you know, he, he's stress-free essentially. And I asked Joey Votto the other night, what's one piece of advice you would give this kid if, if he asked? And he just said, look, the sixth tool to be a major league baseball star is resiliency. You're going to have lower lows than you've ever had in your life. And you're just going to have to have that grit to, to push through it. Cause you, you just said it at the top. It's a long season. It's so much different covering baseball than the NFL where it's one game a week. Um, and the beautiful thing right now in Cincinnati is, you know, every day feels like Friday. I mean, Reds fans are waking up thinking, all right, what what do I have to do before that game starts? Because uh it's just been it's just been a cra- crazy turn of events uh in, you know, really two months. Charlie Clifford, he's down in Cincinnati right now. WLWT, that's the NBC affiliate. Uh Charlie, of course you heard him. On these airwaves a lot, watched him on Wish TV. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Charlie, you were in this market for how many years? Uh, six, six great six years. years, six quarterbacks, man. but six, you know. So, <laughs> well, I, you're going to have Richardson now for for 15. Now that I broke that that streak, and I hope he's people hope you're right. I've, I've been re- yeah, I've been reading and listening, and I'm encouraged of uh, 
the early reports. Well, nothing against you, but if Colts fans had to see you exit town for Anthony Richardson <laughs> to be their QB for the next decade yeah, and a half, that'd be I, a pretty good deal. Yeah, I think they will take yeah. it. Um, <laughs> who would you compare Joey Votto to from an indie sports scene? I, I'm such a sucker for atmosphere. I'm such mm-hmm. a sucker for nostalgia and cool sport moments. I didn't want Wyndham Clark to win at all, and as soon as he made that putt and he <laughs> lost it, I was kind of like, why was I not Wait. rooting for this guy the whole time? Uh, the scene with Votto the other night in his season debut, I I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. Um would you compare him to anybody from an indie sports scene standpoint? Uh, first of all, the KB voodoo doll was out and Tiger Woods wasn't involved. <laughs> you, you're, you're throwing this kid yeah, under the bus. I might have had a 529 on old Rory there. So oh, we're back to the drawing on. board in the Bowen household. Yeah, you know better than that. At this Don't tell point. Maddie that, I, though. Yeah, I, I think the only, you know, again, I've full disclosure, Votto's been around, you know, a few days now. Um, but we have spoken to him a couple times. I, I think Philip Rivers would be the only person in my, you know, brief run through Indy there, at least in person, that would come to mind just because every answer he gives is legitimately intriguing. There are no stock answers. I think that's, you know, a journalist's dream, right? I, I'm not going to get the auto response. I'm not going to get the cliche, you know, oh, I could have written that last night when I was thinking about what question am I going to ask this guy? He is very, you know, he's just such a, a deep thinker. And um, to see, you know, for somebody new like me to show up, this guy's been here 17 seasons now, and to see him reflect on, you know, really some, some lean years there and sticking it out and having this crazy rotator bicep surgery at 38 not knowing if all this was going to pay off to even get back and then to have that night two nights ago um you know it just makes you appreciate what we don't see in sports anymore which is someone wearing the same jersey their whole career and being really good um so i think especially in a city like this considering how long it's been since the reds have brought this sort of feeling to their fan base um you know i don't think it's a coincidence that vado had that night and i think the hope is from here that he can just contribute and be a piece because the beauty for him is he doesn't have to be 2010 mvp joey vado you know just keep these kids moving in the right direction and and deliver some clutch hits and i think that'll be enough to keep them in the lineup uh charlie i'm gonna ask the question that's probably gonna get me the most mocked of uh, how did Quarry not know this? Uh, what's the origin of the Viking stuff? You know, Jake Fraley was in on it. Um, I think as we've seen across Major League Baseball, it seems like every dugout kind of has a thing. Um, but again, as for like where it actually sparked in, in spring training, I'm not exactly sure. I'm a little surprised that they haven't gotten thrown at yet. Did you guys see the other night? Obviously, Votto's curtain call, you know, you can understand that. But um, I've just been amazed this year how we've we've gone in like two seasons from like a a small bat flip would spark a benches-clearing brawl to now we're just full-blown, you know, get the guys are out of the dugout, people are hopping over the railings every home run. Have you two noticed this? Oh yeah, seismic shift like overnight. I I love I think it. It's cool. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I, I was. Yeah, baseball I was is too many. That. They kind of need it, right? Too many unwritten rules. Well, Celebrate. I mean, I, honestly, it's probably more of a college thing that kind of bled into Major League Baseball. I, I feel like it, it's been very well. I mean, hell, is it, are we going back to turnover chain? Should we thank the Miami Hurricanes for oh for igniting all of this? Here's a question for you two, as like, because when I was in Indy, you know, I, I didn't hide the fact I I watched less baseball than I ever did in my life. You know, growing up a Cub fan, I was in the Brewers market for two years. Do you think the rule changes are working for folks that, you know, aren't glued? And forgive me if you two are are watching a specific team every night. Do you think these changes are absolutely making a difference for the casual fan? Yes, and I'll tell you why from my standpoint. Not necessarily applicable to me, but I'm not a soccer fan. I've been hearing about how soccer is the sport of the future since 1978. However, <laughs> however, for young people, and when I say young, Charlie, I mean I'm probably going to go like let's say 30 or 25 and younger. Yeah, they have grown up watching like Premier League, and that has in in for that group. We live in a world now between social media phones everything else the attention span is just much shorter and people are in constant crave of a redirection of focus and so therefore they want quick moving right they want boom 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 no timeouts whatever else baseball had so much downtime that i think they were losing the younger person audience and this keeps it moving yeah (laughs) and so i think that 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 not only now I'm not saying that that immediately has gotten the younger people, but when younger people are watching, they're more likely now to stick around because that's the beauty of, of a soccer match. The beauty of it is, you know, it's two hours. It's a two-hour uh, two investment. And I, this does shorten it up, and I think it makes it easier to watch games. Kevin, what say you? Yeah, I, I, I would basically check every box that Jake just just said. I, I, I agree whole wholeheartedly. And, and I think the numbers back it up. Um yeah, I, I just feel like you now have an expectation when you turn into it of like, I, I don't have to commit, again, three plus hours to it. And in this day and age, when everything's at the fingertip to entertain you, uh, that's huge. So kudos to baseball for, again, getting away from the un- unwritten rules and adapting with the times. Yeah, that's interesting here. And I'm a fan of that, you know, minimum batter rule too. It, it just feels like the late game stuff. You know, really, stuff that the NFL is still trying to figure out. How do we? How do the last three minutes not take forty minutes? You know, when I, I think baseball's, you know, yeah, college basketball's probably got the too. biggest issue with that. You know, how many times we go into the monitor uh, and, and, and you know, oh, how, my, yeah, yeah, right, good call. It's, uh, how about NASCAR? Uh, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> how many? How many? Uh, I, I won't make an Indy 500 joke because I know it's fresh and I know we're all happy. No, I get it. I mean, I get it, <laughs> yeah. Charlie. The reality is this: the reality is another the, red flag. You get I think one. people were excited by the red flag, by the by the green flag dash at the end of the Indy 500. But the reality is that the people that were opposed to the red flag, it's because they don't want to get into the slippery slope of the green white checkered like. Last, I mean, how many? I, I've called NASCAR races where the last ten percent of the race took up seventy percent of the time. You know what I mean? Casey Kane, Casey Kane, and what was that? Seventeen? Yeah, the, uh, it was literally dark that out. <laughs> that was nuts. That was nuts. If if I may, Jake, uh, one of your favorite 
maybe untold stories from me since I was look full disclosure. I had I missed I, I'm missing Indy you know often. It, it was so great, but especially May. I mean that that absolutely stunk not being there. As as happy and as thankful I am to to be here. Um, any untold stories from May that you could pass along this morning, or a story that that will stick out from behind the scenes. Boy, that's a really good question. Um, I've got to think about that. I, you know, the, okay, this you've made Jake speechless. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I will say this, and I'm sure you mean like you know some crazy story from the bus lot or something like that. I, I, just, I, yeah, something. You have a unique eye, and you tend to catch things. I, and, I'll uh, tell you one thing that I thought was interesting. I'll tell you one yeah. thing I thought was interesting during Carb Day, which is a two-hour practice. Mm-hmm. I was up there because we, we do kind of a rehearsal in Carb Day for the radio network. We go up and we call it a fax check. So we're just making sure that everybody's headsets work and we have our drop hey. points down pat. It's basically a dress rehearsal. And they're doing the practice and we're calling the practice almost like it's a race. I mean, literally, like we had to remind ourselves, this isn't really a race, guys. Like we're sitting here like so-and-so <laughs> takes the lead. I'm like, I don't do that. They're just, there's 30 cars out there right now. The one guy who I realized whose name that we weren't calling was Joseph Newgarden. And I'm like, we're sitting here talking about like Pato's running, you know, there's this pack of cars and Pato Award and Rossi and Erickson, they're all up there. And I'm like, where is Newgarden? And then I noticed that from like 11.45 to 12.15 for like 30 minutes, everybody else was out there running in groups and Joseph Newgarden was out completely by himself and running and turning multiple laps, like 10 to 15 at a time, in the middle groove and outside line of the racetrack, completely by himself. And his car was absolutely glued to the track, and there was no movement on his exit to the turn of the rear of the car. And right then, I literally said, Joseph Newgarden's going to win the race. Because he just went out and figured out the the lines that where he's going to have to put his car when it matters most, and his car looks perfect in traffic and looks perfect in the... Everybody else was driving the line that's comfortable. And Newgarden spent yeah. that entire practice mastering the line that was not. And I'm like, he's going to win the race. The lone wolf. Correct. The lone wolf. Correct. That That's sweet right there. I mean... I mean, that, that was, to me, that was, you know, it was an interesting month, though, Charlie, because it was just kind of, um, this this month more than any other for the month of May or two weeks or whatever you want to call it, like, there was, it, it just kind of, I'm not going to say, right? yeah, it didn't sneak up, it was yeah. clean, it didn't sneak up on me, but like, it was just checking the box each day of the task at hand getting done, and there wasn't anything monumental that jumped out. Other than the crowd was was I, I mean that was the biggest crowd I've seen maybe even up to 2016. I mean it was massive, wow. massive crowd. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I guess the beauty of a quiet start is I mean where does that I know you've discussed this both of you at length that celebration uh, to me you know I that was the thing I was always thinking about the night before the race. Oh are we going to get you know, an unforgettable post-race celebration on the Yard of Bricks. I mean, it, I assume that has to be very high up there in terms of, you know, visuals. Uh, some perspective there quickly before I well, I thought sabotage this whole interview. Charlie, I thought the thing that was most impressive to me about Newgarden getting out of the car and going into the crowd, which just stunned everybody, but 
That was how, the first thing I asked. How him. he had him knew? On the show the yeah. Night. How did he know where the photographer hole was? I mean, because you know that's that area he went through is there for I think for photographer purposes. But he had scouted that out, didn't he? Say like his rookie year. Kevin? Yeah, and he'd only told like one other person about it, and. Um, yeah, and then Tim Tim Sendrick we had on later in the day was like, I'm running over there. I'm like, where the hell is he? Yeah. You know, I mean, the had- thing is, like, to, to plan to do that is one thing, like, ahead of time. But then to remember that you had thought about that yeah. in that moment's impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive. I, I thought it was cool. I, you know, he's been, uh, let's face it, he, he knows he's one of the most talented. And I feel like sometimes the celebration stuff isn't there because you expect to win and for him to do that, I just thought, oh gosh, this is that. That's just. I mean, one you of know what he things out there. Quite frankly, he awesome was headed moment. towards Charlie becoming the jo- the Joey Votto of the Indy Five Hundred, a guy that had done everything, but that was yeah. the one thing that escaped yeah. him. Right? Man, there's full circle right there. You're right. You're right. And shoot, I mean, if I'm trying to think, I mean, Jake, you've been around the Reds longer than I have. I mean, the fact that they're going for eleven straight tonight. The big red machine never did it. The I know. wire to wire the wire to wire team in ninety never did it. Um, you know, this is with series in St. Louis and Houston. Um it's it's just I know Reds fans are just you can't take the smile off your face. It's just, it's just nuts. So Wednesday hump day day party potentially down in the Queen yeah, right. City. Charlie, I love it. Uh listener just texted right here. Uh Charlie's asking for recaps like he missed senior year spring break. <laughs> I love it. A little my reminiscing grades, here. My grades were just good enough to get, you know, the green light on that trip. It was it was down to that last exam, right? But, all right, you can go. You can go. Go go have some fun. Charlie, I miss you, man. I owe you that beer still, so we'll definitely have to do that. I'm such a big fan of Cincinnati. I love we were down there probably just before you got down there, so we try to get down there at least once a year. So hopefully we'll get that on the agenda here at some point, and we got to have you back on certainly later to talk about the Reds. Hell, they could be buyers coming up in a month, which is just a shocking statement to make. Yeah, it's funny you say that. The general manager told us yesterday, Nick Crawl, that they they do plan on being buyers. You know, they they have the financial flexibility, which is a bit of a change around here. But that sounds great, fellas. And as I always say, Indy, very lucky to have you two at the at the helm and um, miss you both. Appreciate everything you guys have done for me behind the scenes. Won't forget it, Charlie. Thank you. Much appreciated. And likewise, See you, fellas. That's the great Charlie Clifford. Again, WLWT, the NBC affiliate there. Uh, They are lucky to have him. He is a great, great talent, a great dude as well. Enjoyed that combo. Uh, Pacers draft talk. What would make Alex Golden very happy at 7? What would not make him very happy at 7? We'll do that on the other side. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Less than 36 hours away, actually probably 36 hours from now, the Pacers will be making their selection at number 7. Of course, that is pending that they stay at number 7 and indeed... Choose right there to talk more about that. Alex Golden joins us. A terrific job covering the Pacers at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. All right, Alex. Um, who would have you jumping up and down like Benedict Matherin for me uh, last year at number seven? And who would have you saying, what in the world was that at number seven? <laughs> 
Oh, that's a that's a tough one. I think jumping up and down. I'm I'm pretty into the idea of Taylor Hendricks at the four. There uh, could be a really nice fit with the Pacers. I think that. Uh, Star Thompson is also one that I would be really excited about just because there's such a, a mystery box type of element to him and what he can become. But, um, you know, really, I don't think there's anybody in their range that would make me feel like, oh, God, really. Uh, I, I guess I'd have to say Grady Dick to the fold at seven. Even though I think Grady Dick's a really good player, I do worry a little bit about taking him at seven. I feel like it's just a bit too early. And then Anthony Black, he's another guy that I really like as a prospect, but don't know if he makes a lot of sense for the Pacers. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But out of all those names, those excited the most. And the one that's the biggest question mark for me is Cam Whitmore. Ton of talent. Don't know if this is a smokescreen with him sliding down or not, like we've seen in recent mocks. But uh, I don't love his fit with the Pacers, but I love his talent. So it's one of those things where I wouldn't be upset at the pick, but I would also kind of question how are they going to make this work. So uh, that's that's probably how I'd answer that question the best, Katie. I, I was hoping you could expand a little bit more on Taylor Hendricks. I, I've said for several weeks now, Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, I'd be totally good with that tomorrow night at 7. I probably have Hendricks a little bit closer to Walker than than maybe most. I think some people are like, yeah, definitely Walker. But Hendricks' length, Hendricks' ability to shoot the basketball, I think are very, very attractive to me. Uh, what do you like about Hendricks in particular? Yeah, I think with Hendricks, it's just, he's got a little bit more upside to me than Jairus Walker. I think that Jairus Walker is a very good player. And if you're looking at their attributes straight across the board, I would probably say aside from shooting and secondary rim protection, that right now Jairus Walker probably has the upper advantage over Taylor Hendricks and all that, uh, all the other categories. But I, I just value shooting so much, especially, especially in Rick Carlisle's offense. And I think having that secondary rim protector next to a Miles Turner makes a lot of sense. I think when you're looking at Miles, um, if, if he is on the team long term, we saw how that looks when you don't have a shooter out there with him. Other teams will put their power forwards on him, and it does take away from what Miles can do when he's being guarded by a center. So we'll see teams put their center on the four that can't shoot, and that's kind of where Jairus Walker's at. Um, the Athletic, they did an awesome article yesterday where they interviewed a bunch of different executives and coaches from college talking about these two, like about a lot of prospects, but these two prospects in particular were brought up. And one that they talked about was Hendricks. They really highlighted how at the end of the games, they gave him the ball and he was able to deliver. He became the guy. He was able to score on the elbow, take contested shots, even though they weren't necessarily like the ideal shot. He knows how to have that pressure on him being the guy at UCF. So I think he's not going to be that guy in Indiana right away, but he has that capability. Um, so I think people are sleeping on him a little bit in terms of his overall talent because I feel like this is a guy that fits in seamlessly with what the Pacers want to do. I think Pitt-wise, he's the best pick, and I think upside between him and Walker, uh, I think he's got a higher upside as well. Alex, let me make a statement. I want you to tell me true or false or don't know, okay? Okay. Uh, I got the feeling that in his individual workout that Grady Dick did enough to at least make the Pacers think about whether or not they were willing to wait on him to grow defensively and or sacrifice getting a lockdown defender at the seven spot because they felt he shoots it at such a high and potentially rare level that he intrigued them more than they probably wanted to be intrigued. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, that's true or not. I'm trusting your word on it. 
Um, but I can kind of see that being the case. I think that Grady Dick's a really good player, and he's been undervalued quite a bit during the draft process. Like, I know I said I wouldn't like him at 7. I feel like it's too early. But if at, he's there at 10 or 11 and the Pacers can get a second pick, then, yeah, I would love to have Grady Dick on my team. So it's it's one of those things. I don't feel like his ceiling's as high as some of the other guys that I've mentioned there. But with Grady Dick, he's a very good offensive player, and he does a lot of things. He's not just a shooter, and I hate that he gets – kind of pigeonholed into that category. It's just like, oh, there's a white guy that can shoot. No, he cuts really well, smart feel for the game, high basketball IQ. This is a guy that is going to help teams. Now, he's a role player. That's that's his ceiling, in my opinion. But, yeah, I think that he could fit pretty well with the Pacers, but he doesn't, to me, fill the position of need that they need to address the most. And I don't think the defense, it may come, but it might never come. So that's the only concern I have uh, with him. But I, I do think that yeah, he's a good basketball player. I can see why the Pacers would be intrigued. And, you know, Kevin Pritchard being a Kansas alumni, I'm sure there's a little bit of bias there, too, with, uh, you know, looking at a guy that he might like from uh, from his alma mater. And Alex Golden is with us here. It's Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Uh, draft coverage through the roof here over the past couple of months and all of it obviously tomorrow at 8 o'clock right here on these airwaves. Alex... I don't know if report is too much credence to it, but Jonathan Gavoni, the ESPN draft analyst, so the Mel Kuyper, if you will, of the NFL or uh, of the NBA side of it, um, he reported yesterday in his write-up on the Pacers, uh, and I think he had Hendricks going to them at 7, he mentioned three veteran wings that there could be some interest in. He mentioned Tobias Harris, DeAndre Hunter, Dorian Finney-Smith. I guess you call them wings, maybe fours, however you want to describe it. Um, your thoughts on it, either of those three potentially being a pacer if they move number seven? Yeah, well, Jake Fisher, in his article, this I think it was last week, he talked about how the Pacers did try to trade for DeAndre Hunter at the trade deadline. So that name resurfacing didn't surprise me. I think Dorian Finney-Smith is a good player. I think Tobias Harris is a good player. But there's no way I'm giving up number seven for either of those two guys, in my opinion. The reason that DeAndre Hunter makes sense for number seven is because he just signed an extension. So he's got four years on his uh, new contract that goes in, his new extension that goes into play this year. Have to wonder if Atlanta would even be willing to move him, what it would cost besides seven. Um, but I wouldn't want to give him too much more than that because I just I just value drafting guys on their rookie contract scales, their rookie scale contracts. So, yeah, I think DeAndre Hunter is one that it does entice me. Uh, the Hawks also have picked 15, so if there was a way that you could get back into uh, the middle of the first round and get 15 with DeAndre Hunter for number seven and whatever salary needs to go back to make that deal work, then, yeah, I think that does make some sense because he fits that timeline right there. I think he's around the age 24, 25, if I'm not mistaken. So fits with what they're trying to do and helps them win now if that's the ultimate goal. But Jordan Finney-Smith, uh, good player, but I think he lost a lot of value once he left Dallas and then went to Brooklyn. And then Tobias Harris has an expiring contract. I'm not giving up number seven for a guy that's making almost $40 million a year on an expiring. So uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that one, but I, uh, I definitely can see DeAndre Hunter. It's interesting, Alex. I heard a lot of... I heard a lot of people, or I've read places, for example, that one of the names that interests, maybe not the Pacers, but you know Kyle Kuzma now, right, who's kind of a journeyman at this point, but Kuzma's a name that's been linked to the Pacers in the past, and it's funny, 
one the, the only time in my relationship with people within the Pacers offices over the years, and I'm going back a ways, the only player that's ever been specifically used as an example to me of a player that the Pacers backed away from after learning more about just the player and, and what the player necessitates and whatever else was Kyle Kuzma. That's the only guy whose name's ever been mentioned and then you know, now he's available. My point being, I think we just kind of never know, truthfully, everything that goes into the study and the analysis of a player. Now, all of that said, how active do you believe the Pacers are going to be tomorrow night, aside from the areas where it is slated for them to be active? Oh, man. I mean, we know they're not going to take all the picks. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I don't know what they're going to do with them, but... Based on reporting, they've been linked to a lot of different different trade scenarios, whether it's trading up, trading back, trading completely out. So I think they're going to be pretty active. Uh, I want these deals are going to get done. Oh, boy. Alex is in that uh, He's in that septic tank at the bottom of the ocean, right? Alex, we got you back. Oh, can you hear me? How's the Titanic look from there? Loud and clear. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Maybe my service went out. Sorry, I was driving. Uh, but no, I uh, I think that, honestly, like trading out could be a problem for me personally. I just don't think that they're in a situation where they're ready to do that unless they get a player that makes a lot of sense. But um, I think they're going to be pretty active, but I, I just wonder how active they'll be able to be with uh, the talent that they have. I know Brian Windhorst said that the Pacers on one of his podcasts said that if they're motivated, they can get things done. So I just wonder how motivated are the Pacers to try and, you know, get some real wing talent in here. It's no doubt that's what they want to address. And that excited me to hear that. So I think they're going to be pretty active. Kevin Pritchard's talked about it. I think Chad Buchanan has talked about it as well in multiple different places. Like, you know, this is the time to do it. The new CBA could be a, a big reason why you see a lot more trades happen as well. Alex Golden's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline, setting the pace is the podcast that Alex is on. Uh, does a tremendous job with that. Um, Alex, it's not like my top priority, but I think when you get to picks 26, 29, and 32, I am not opposed at all to trading one of them for a future first rounder. Um, I, I just think it's important that, you know, this is not a trust the process, a six year rebuild, but this is also not a boom, next year the Pacers need to be a two-seed and you know win 55 games. Like I, I still want to try and maintain, I think, a little bit of you know optionality to steal the Kevin Pritchard wor- word uh, down the road because I think at some point you are going to be at that point as a franchise, and it might be you know this year. It might be the following year of a, hey, it's the trade deadline and we want to be buyers. So instead of acquiring the draft picks, you want to move a draft pick for a player. What would be your thoughts on, again, 26, 29, 32, in that range, trading one of them for a future first? I think that's more than likely what they end up doing if they're not able to consolidate their picks to move up. I think that trading out of this draft and getting future picks, whether it's next year's draft or a later draft, can make a lot of sense. Uh, the New York Knicks are a team that I keep an eye on because I think they acquired three first-round picks last year from the Thunder to trade pick 11. And I think they're a team that could be interested in getting in the back end of this draft because they don't have their draft pick. And they're a team that could be, okay, let's buy a pick here from the Pacers at 26-29. And you know this just as well as I do, uh, KB. It's it's one of those things where 
picks are so much more valuable until they're actually taken, right? And if you can say, well, we've got, you know, an extra pick in 2024, we've got our 2025, we've got our own 2024, and you got all your picks lined up for the future, yeah, you can be more aggressive in buying a player when you want to be a buyer and you feel like you're at that point. So pushing your assets further down the road, you're totally right. It does not mean you're saying trust the process, do all that. It just means, hey, this roster is already pretty full. We can't take all these guys on. Let's turn our assets this draft into future drafts and maybe use those picks as something that can help us out in the long run. So I, I totally agree with that assessment. And I think that's what the Pacers probably are thinking in the back of their head helps them as well. Because um, if something like OG and OB becomes available, future picks is going to help you then instead of saying, well, we drafted this guy in 29 when July Kim. So that to me is where I, I think that the picks just have more value. Alex, give me the player on the Pacers roster currently that holds more value to the Pacers than he does in the league. Oh, I would I would probably say Andrew Nimhard uh, first, and then I would probably lean Aaron Neesmith. Yeah, I think that Neesmith means a lot to this team and what they're trying to build. And I think um, whether he's a starter or a six man, we're still not sure. Kevin Pritchard said that they don't know what he is yet, but. I think that he is just a great player to have on this roster. And teams might think, well, you know, he got a bigger role on a team that didn't make the playoffs. His value might not be as high. But I think he could be a guy that could be a playoff X-factor type of guy in a series if they were to keep him. So I'm a little bit, little bit hesitant to trade him because um, I think he means a lot. And then hard the same thing. Second-round pick last year didn't make one of the first or second all-rookie teams. I think he's going to be a really good player. If the team was smart, they'd be trying to get him <laughs> if, if they were uh, needing some point guard help because I think he's got potential to be a starter in this league long term. I love Neesmith. And part of the reason I love Neesmith is because – He's kind of forgotten. He is, you know? man. We, we, like, we hardly talk about <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, like I know. And I, then hand raised. He, he, can win, you know, he can guard. Yeah. Um, I love guys, anybody who – and this, this is – this is not going to stun anybody because it, it really is a lot like me. I, I like any player that's able to contribute where nothing has to go through them. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have to be the guy. They're just there. They're happy to be there. I'm not saying he's happy to be there. But but you don't have to orchestrate things through Neesmith for him to contribute. And, I, Alex, I do think I, – I think you're right. I think he's the piece that we kind of forget about that his flexibility gives them – he could be a really big piece for them. And I think he is a versatile sixth man. Wouldn't you agree ultimately that's going to be his role? Uh, I would assume so. I think they want to continue to add depth on the wings. And, you know, he can't play four for the next 82 games next season. I just That's impossible. You're a little too small with him. And I think they kind of realized that, okay, it, it worked for a little while. Um, but we definitely saw him take a bit of a dip when Tyrese wasn't out there. I mean, Tyrese just raises the floor of everybody because he's so fantastic at uh, facilitating and getting the offense moving. But, you know, I just think that Neesmith on the defensive side is really what he brings. You know, the, the part of him that I like the most is his defense and hustle. Uh, if he can knock down threes, like you're talking about, a 3 and D guy that you got, you know, for Malcolm Brogdon in that trade. But I think it was a perfect move for both sides at the time. And, um, yeah, I just – I mean, if he has to be included in a trade because you're trying to get someone better, I totally get it. But at this point, I think the Pacers really value him and, and what he brings to the table. So, yeah, I, I think six-man is the spot for him, and he could be a guy that even closes out uh, games sometimes just because of his defensive presence. All right, Alex, last one from me. Would you rather have factor in age, factor in contract, the whole thing, would you rather have Isaiah Jackson or Trace Jackson Davis on the Pacers? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, 
And I, I guess just to throw out there, uh, two years younger Isaiah Jackson than Trace Jackson Davis. Contractually, two years left on his deal would be a restricted free agent. You want to look three years out. I think it's just north of two million this year. That rises to north of four million next year. I'll, I will say this, and I'm try, I feel like Isaiah Jackson hasn't hasn't really gotten the the biggest opportunity to showcase what he can become. It takes longer for for bigs like that to develop in this league. But I was a little, I was kind of shocked when they took him when they when they traded up for him to take him in the draft. I think the idea of Isaiah Jackson is a lot better than what we've seen these first two years. And Trace Jackson Davis to me is someone that I think can add a little bit more. Uh, an overall skill set. Now he is not as elite of a defender as Isaiah Jackson can be, but uh, it, it's gonna. It, I think they're pretty close to me personally. Uh, a lot of people would probably lean Isaiah Jackson just because of the uh, the lob threat ability, the upside talent there. But I think that I would feel more comfortable with Trace uh, long term, just because I think I I know what he is as a prospect, and I'm still trying to figure out what Isaiah can become. Uh, so if you're looking for like potential, I, I can see the case for Isaiah, but. If it was me picking between the two, I personally would rather have Trace Jackson Davis just because I think he can do a little bit more for me. Um, and neither of them are shooters, so I just feel like I get more of a high-Q uh, basketball player between the two. Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Alex, Christmas Eve for you tonight? You know, it's to the point where I'm just ready for the Pacers to make the pick. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked at nauseum about these picks. It's the same thing with the Colts draft process. You know how that goes. It's oh, like, yeah. At what point? There's nothing else more that I can say that I probably haven't already said uh, about these guys on the podcast and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of interested to see what they do and, and finally get some answers. So, uh, yeah, it's like I guess it's like Christmas because we're finally going to get to open the present and see what we got. Amen to that. Alex, great stuff, man. Uh, we'll chat with you next week about how all the madness plays out. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on, and keep up the great work. Thank you. Same to you. Alex Golden right there on the Payless I, I don't Liquors think, Hotline. And I appreciate it when people say this. When when people that we have on the radio, and then at the end of the conversation, they say, keep up the great work, or you guys are doing a great job, do, do they know what show they're talking to, do you think? Or is that like a patented line they say? Yeah, I think he just has his notes out, <laughs> app out, and he's like, okay, compliment at the end. Because like, they are right, the 22nd ranked mid-market that's show. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, um, just want to wish you the best la- uh, best of luck this year in passing Flagstaff. Thanks. Flagstaff. By the way, uh, Northern Arizona soccer uh, cross country is what they're talking <laughs> right, about. The Lumberjacks. Uh, the search is still on, by the way. I'm, I'm looking right now for the – again, I'm obsessed, right? This from 49 minutes please, ago. Please don't laugh we, about we it. Have, like I'm not laughing there. about it at all. We have an, You're turning off your mic at times to giggle about that. No, the the billionaire fella that's in the septic tank sent a text, and they now have the last text that he sent. And the last text that he sent said something like, the weather seemed a little rough when we left. I mean, did he watch Gilligan's Island? Right? Now it's him and his it's son in, in there. The Is that correct? Line. It's the billionaire from the billionaire thr- thrill seeker from England. I believe is his son maybe with them. I know that there is a. a I thought there was a father son. That's the billionaire from Pakistan and his son, and then the uh, owner fella that seems he seems a bit goofy. The guy that came up with. Would you agree with that, Mark? Oh, the guy who's got the $20 Amazon PlayStation knockoff controller is like, this runs the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. He, he 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 seems a little like, you know, there were like 152 OSHA codes that he was supposed to meet, and he went 0 for 152 and had a good laugh about it. I'm not saying it's it's awful. I mean, what, what these people must be going through at this point, but...
there there is an element of like how much money do you need to buy you like kind of an an arrogance i guess uh but it does say the search is still underway with five people on board it went missing on a trip to view the wreckage of the titanic you are correct, Kevin, in the fact that the latest report says they, they did hear noise under the ocean. I, these guys are in a five-foot concrete or whatever it is. It's not concrete, obviously, but they're in this tub that is to be able to withstand 23,000 pounds per square inch of water pressure and it's bolted to the point where they can't get out from the inside. Is there really any way that we would be able to hear through 5,000 meters of water if they're in there banging? You know, I, I felt this way, um, gosh, where was that? Was that the Philippines when you had the kids in the cave? Do you remember this a couple years right. ago? I, it was for, for some reason, that part of the world is popping into my head. And like reading, I, I'll never forget reading this long, long form feature, you know, months after they were able to rescue them on what exactly they went through and all of that. This sort of thing, I've, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get the amount of details. Obviously, you hope that they're rescued. But, like, all of those questions, in all seriousness, like, that's stuff I'm super curious about and would love to have more details on it all. I mean, the Thailand fact, okay. was where that cave Thailand, from. thank you, Mark. The, these five people. Philippines, Thailand, aren't they near each other? So from, yeah, they're both in the same region of the yeah. world, right? Uh, these five people are in this capsule that that looks just like a and a hard like extra strength Tylenol tablet, and I don't think that it has like I mean it's rounded right it's the whole thing is round I don't think the base of it has a flat area for them to sit on so aren't they all sitting in a I mean that would be uncomfortable enough right the more we talk about this the more I need the extra strength Tylenol and there's no bathroom so. You bring like a donut, like a Indy 500 donut to sit on the bleachers. You can bring that with on the. Trip. I mean, I mean that's what uh, you know. Like, and is it can is you it rent moves, one of those? Mark? Is it move moves along? Do you are you like sliding back and forth? But then now the how are we looking for the pop quiz here? They, there's no bathroom now. Now <laughs> how many questions? This do you was have? supposed to be like a three day expedition, wasn't it? That that there seems like poor planning. Does it not? Do you have three and I have two questions? Is that what we're doing on the pop uh, quiz? I, I finished it off here. I've got, let's see, I came I up with one. I came up with one. Uh, you did two. No, I came up with two. You did two. And Mark did one. Okay. I've got it right here. Okay. I, I need to photocopy that, I guess, right? Uh, we're going to do the pop quiz here in a few. 317-239-1070 for that. Jiffy Lube oil change. Uh, let's lead off the pop quiz with the hottest team in baseball. Morning or the check morning checkdown with the hottest team in baseball. <laughs> The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, the hottest. hottest team in baseball, in fact, the Red Legs of Cincinnati. We're Yesterday, 8-6 winners yeah. over the Rockies. Uh, Reds 8-6 winners, Ellie De La Cruz with his second home run. Rockies threatened to make it interesting. They had a couple on late in the game, but a strikeout to end it yeah, as the bases, Reds... Was the bases loaded? Bases loaded. Yeah. Alexis Diaz That's right, a walk to load them up, continues right? Continues to be perfect with save situations. 
Uh, elsewhere in Major League Baseball, the Diamondbacks losers to the Brewers 7-5. It was the White Sox 7-6 over the Rangers. Dodgers 2-0 over the Angels. Athletics 3-2 losers to the Cleveland Guardians. Cute fella 8-6 winner over Tampa Bay. And the Yankees 3-1 over the Mariners. Oh, by the way, the Cardinals got a win, 9-3. That was the smartest 9-3 win in the history of baseball. Uh, 105 today over at Victory Field. It'll be a doubleheader for the Indians. I think they've lost five or six in a row. So trying to get back on track. Home all week long. Looking ahead to the rest of the sports week. Obviously, tomorrow night we've got the draft. Again, our coverage will begin at 7. The draft officially starts at 8. The picks currently for the Pacers, 7, 26, and 29. Those are all in round 1. 32 in round 2 and 55 in round 2. Uh, also, tomorrow night you'll get the Indiana Fever back in action. Aliyah Boston, the rookie, the number 1 overall pick, Eastern Conference Player of the Week. That's not Rookie of the Week. That is Player of the Week for her. So she has lived up to the hype, to say the least, here in her rookie campaign. One IndyCar note, Jacob saw us yesterday, Takuma Sato going to do the ovals the rest of the year for Chip Ganassi Racing? That is correct, and that leads people to believe that the door may be open, that he, in fact, will run the Indy 500 for the same team next year. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Guaranteed there, but... And he was with them this past year? That is correct. Ran well. Top 10 finish. Sato knows his way around. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, A guy that was a Formula One driver, and now he's just an oval specialist, you know? But good dude. And Marcus Armstrong, that's the guy that's running the other races Correct. in that car. And he's had a nice season, right? Oh, yeah. He's talented. Young driver. Grew up kind of idolizing Scott Dixon. um, And I think has certainly shown the promise that was expected of him to be able to return and grow with Ganassi Racing. Any relation to Daryl, Neil, or Lance? Uh, None. None. You know, uh, Neil Armstrong, now he went to the moon. Correct, but, Uh but not with an Atari controller. And... You know, managed to probably have proper preparation and, you know, got everything up to code. Are you ripping paper right now? Yeah. I had a note to myself written on the top of the pop quiz that I'm getting ready to go photocopy for you guys. I didn't need you reading my internal secrets. Yeah, he's just going to print off more professional team logos again. Yeah. Oh, let's move over to the (laughs) F1 logos today. That's right. Uh, All right, pop quiz is next. 307-239-1070. Level of dual. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What bowl would you put for this one? Kevin's looking over the quiz now. Uh, I'm not very optimistic about it. I think if you listen to the show, we gave out probably two, maybe three. One of them, hell, we give out pretty much every day. I mean, no one's knowing four, right? And I think two will trip some people up. Okay. Two and four, I, I think. You? Oh, I think it's doable. It's easier now that we got rid of all of Jake's Titanic sub questions. <laughs> what kind of controller were they using? Mm-hmm. How many yeah. codes did Ocean Gate actually meet? How many people were on the Titanic? Oh, boy. The actual ship? Uh-huh. Boy, let's go over under on this before we start the pop quiz. I'll go... Uh, 1100s will pop that in my that, head. That's, I was just going to say, I'll say... Uh, 1,281. No, 1,181 would Oof. be my guess. You guys are way under. Mm. 2,200. Really? Mm-hmm. Over 1,500 died. Probably well, more than that now that it's been like 100 years. 
Oh, Mark. Well, I'm just saying the number's probably a little higher now. It's one of your worst jokes. It wasn't a joke. I'm just stating facts. Uh, number one through eight here for the pop quiz. That's actually more survivors than I would have guessed. Don't you think a lot of people, if you asked, like, would be under the assumption that everyone perished? I just saw the stat was 1178. That's how many spots there were on the lifeboats. Well, that seems like poor planning. Well, correct. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's been... It was unsinkable, they said. Well so. documented. And they wanted more space for the luxury rooms. Uh, unpopular they? opinion. I thought Titanic was the most overrated movie ever made. Very long. Like, it's the most captivating story in nautical history. You don't need to tie in a love story to it to make it watchable. Just tell the story of what happened. A couple scenes in that movie that qualified oh, for, okay. mm-hmm. you know, a higher rating. <laughs> Jeez, Mark. Can we hear the mail plop? We haven't heard the mail plop <laughs> that's in good. a while. Yeah, we we're, talking, mail, yeah. we're talking about the, ti- the Titanic. Yeah, Let's just go ahead and hear that. Hear Let's hear a splash. Yeah, here we go. It's a bit in a, no, I don't have it right, ready and waiting. Got to wait a second. Okay. Yeah, Got to like, earn the plop. Let's throw out the life raft. Yeah. There I'm we sure go. we'll hear it for an answer on the pop quiz. Uh, uh, thank you. you. Uh, Jacob number one through eight. There's one of the 700 survivors right there. Uh, number three. Jesus. Jeez. That's uncalled for. Three is who, Mark? Oh. Uh, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey. How you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Mike, can you, you if, you, if you could do me a favor and just try to limit your excitement here. Yeah, I, I didn't bring him in with great energy, to be fair. Mike, who's your favorite athlete well, of all I wanna, time? I want Jake to go through the whole routine as first-time caller. Oh, oh okay. you're a first-time caller, Mike? Nice. Welcome, Mike. Well, well first, first time on the show. Okay. Mike, Mike have you... um. I don't know if you've heard, so you're familiar with Get to Know Your Caller. It's a little segment we do. We've had a lot of success with it. Do you like or Get yeah, to Know yeah, Your yeah. Listener? Yes. Do you yeah. enjoy the Get to Know Your Listener segment? I do. It's one of my favorite parts. <laughs> okay. All right. Should we believe him on that guy? Now, Mike, is that because it's a great part or because, quite frankly, you hate the rest of the show? Oh, no, I like it all. Okay. Good. Uh, Mike, if you don't mind me asking, he's like, "There's only 20 minutes left. That's why it's my favorite part." When it you gets were us closer to Greeny, Mike, when you were 10 years old, your favorite athlete in the world was who? Probably Duke Snyder. Okay, hmm. um, Duke Snyder. By the way, one time I met at a baseball card show at the convention center, 1984. I walked into the men's room. He was at the urinal. He he is uh, pants at ankles while standing at urinal guy. No oh boy, I was nervous. Where are you going with that one? I don't, I don't mean to kill the image of Duke Snyder for you, but uh, okay, Mike. Second question: When you attended high school in the city of Indianapolis, who was the rival high school that you most hated? Manual. Okay, so did you go to Tech? No. Wood? No. Shortridge? No. Uh, Howe? No. Cathedral? No. What high school? Northwest? Southport. Oh, okay, Southport. Okay, that's cool. Uh, That was your next guess, right? Yeah, that was... We're going to get there. Were you before, or you would have been a little before Robin Miller, or right around the same time? Uh, Same time, Robin and I are good friends. Uh, We play against each other in a basketball league for 25 years. God, Robin's the absolute best, Mike. One, one of the all-time greats. He is the best. He is the best. I miss him a lot. Mike, what's your basketball it's, game like? Today? Well, in your prime. <laughs> i got a torn shoulder. I can't even shoot a basketball today. All right, well. Fundamentals. Draymond Green gets gets others involved. Mike, would you like me, that would be Jake, or would you like Kevin to lead you oh, off with Jake. questions? What's Jake, that? Definitely. 
Definitely you, Jake. If Robin was here, Mike, he'd be betting three to one that you're going to go five for five here. You ready? (laughs) (laughs) Question number one for you, Mike. The College World Series is down to just four schools. Can you name two of them? Um, Tennessee... Florida State. How about just name one of them and maybe throw another guess in there? <laughs> oh boy. Who's Florida uh, State's ri- state rival? TCU. Look at that. A whole frogs, baby. All right, Mike, number two here. The Pacers select seventh tomorrow night. Who is the player they took the last time they drafted seventh overall? A, Reggie Miller, B, George McLeod, C, Clark Kellogg, or D, Benedict Matherin? Clark Kellogg. You know, actually, this guy that they selected seventh overall played collegiately at your first guess on the last question. Florida State. Give me a... Uh, Reggie Miller, George McLeod, Clark Kellogg, or Benedict Matherin? George McLeod. Okay. Question number three. The Reds are the hottest team in baseball. They've won 10 straight. Mike, when was the last time they had an 11-game winning streak? Was it 1975, 1957, 1899, or 1976? 76. Okay. All right, number four here, Mike. Uh, the Fever are now four and seven on the season. Who is who has the current best record in the WNBA? Speaking of gambling, uh, is it A the Las Vegas Aces, B the K- Connecticut Sun, C the Chicago Sky, or D the New York Liberty? New York Liberty. Oh, what did you say about Robin Miller earlier, Jake? Three to one odds. You said. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, here's the thing I would say. Robin would be thrilled if Mike got that right, but then also he might be disappointed if Mike had gotten that question right. Uh, Question five for you, Mike. How often do you listen to this program, Mike? Every day when I'm driving. Okay. Well, we appreciate it. This is going to be an ego check. Sometimes if I'm doing something in the morning, I'll put my headphones on just. Well, we much appreciate it. So we're curious for question number five if you could answer this. Can you name one of the two, quote, unofficial beers of this show? Mm. Half Blue Ribbon. Look at that. Do you know the other by chance? What's the official name there? Uh, gosh, I do, but I can't tell The other is a, a we kind three. of a... We three. It's been a late things. comer to the party. It got mentioned like six weeks ago on the show, and it's kind of become a theme as well as PBR. Better for the look, not the taste. <laughs> Kevin likes the bottles. Uh, they'll um, be drinking them in Cincinnati today, right? That's right. As they watch the Red Legs Hudipole. try to go for Lemon Street. What's that? Beautiful. That's a good question. I think Hudipole actually is the one that bought it. It was Little Kings. Little Kings were purchased, I think. Whoever makes Hudipole actually is the one that bought it. But let's see how you did here, Mike. Uh, question number one, Texas Christian was indeed that the correct guess. Correct. Uh, the other teams, by the way, Florida, Wake Forest, LSU still alive in the College World Series. All right, the last time the Pacers took a player seventh overall in the draft, it was not Clark Kellogg. He later corrected to George McLeod. Yeah! <laughs> what in the world was that, Mark? That was a drunk Indy 500 fan getting interviewed. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. You could probably just say Indy 500 fan, right? Yeah, that's that's, a... that's true. It was, uh, yeah, it might have actually been Carb Day. 
The question is an amazing one for number three, Mike. The Reds' 10-game win streak. This is the fourth time that they have won, have a win streak of double digits. And only once has it gone beyond 11 or beyond 10. 1957. You would think for sure the Big Red Machine would have done it, but they did not. The correct answer was 1957. The Las Vegas Aces, by the way, are 10-1. and one. PBR, Little Kings to round it out. Mike, thanks for listening, man. Um, I thought the Charlie Clifford comments about the Reds were really interesting in that Votto is now the only player on the roster that's making over $2 million. Like, there is a homegrown, and, and it's probably more of a younger prospect than just an outright, like, money ball, cheap player situation. There is some of that, certainly, with the Reds, but that storyline, I think, is pretty cool as well. Yeah, that is. I mean... The question is this, like, is this a fluke or is this an arrival? It's not like they've been dom. I mean, hell, you win 10 in a row in baseball. It's it's an incredible feat. I mean, it's not like they're outright dominant in these games, um, to be fair. But, boy, you know, it's really dates back to late last month. I mean, at one point they were, what, 7-15? and I mean, there was a time where, I mean, they were in the, remember the whole... The whole thing that we came up with of the race for PBR by picking the worst team in baseball, I think it originated by us saying, but we can't take the Reds because that's the obvious, and you and I are both Reds fans. Yeah, they lost over 100 last year. It is a reminder, though, of like how long the baseball season is. Oh. You know, it's a marathon and not a sprint. I mean, we, have, we aren't even to the halfway point, right? Do you know who the uh, fourth highest salaried player is on the Reds? And again, this might be higher now because this, this article was written in March 27, 27 2023. Who's the fourth highest player on the Reds roster? No. Alexis Diaz. Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> wow. They were still paying off his contract. Are you serious? Unbelievable. Uh-huh. What are they paying him? Who are the few highest, Mark? Uh, I have to dig that one up, but that's what popped up. Uh, despite retiring since 2010, Jr. received $3.59 million from the Reds uh, part of his eighty-two million dollar projected uh, salary when he signed his contract. Man, he played till twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Joey Votto, twenty-five million. Uh, one-year outfielder Will Myers, six million. Uh, and then veteran infielder Mike Mustakas, who the Reds released in January and picked up by the Rockies to a minor league deal, twenty-two million. Well, where so are you two of go? those guys aren't even on the team anymore. Will Myers and Mike Mustakas. Yeah, Myers if, got sent down. If we were on this little sub deal. Which of the three of us oh, snaps geez. first? Oh, that's definitely you. One thousand percent, it's you. Oh, I don't think I that's need my true fragrances. At all. Where are my fragrances? <laughs> Where are my watches? Where's the worm no, I, in my plant? My wa- I got to get home too. My watch is. Oh, I forgot about the worm in the plant. My watch would be fine because unlike this septic tank, my watch is designed to be able to go underwater. Right. I we thought about that ahead of time. New article says would be crew member of the Titanic wreckage submersible tour speaks out saying he withdrew due to safety concerns. That was a there was move. another couple I saw that put down their money for this deal like a year ago. Uh, they paid $15,000 initially and then paid off the $235 uh, the $235,000 balance and then the company came back and said, yeah, the weather's conditions are rough and so we're not going to do it, but they wouldn't refund them. They're like, sorry, it said it was non-refundable. I mean, if I just if I had all that money, I still don't think I'm like, hey, what can I do? How crazy well, I don't, can here's I get? The, I don't understand. There is an element of, and I would side more on crazy, Mark. To be fair, but there is an element, and this goes back to I remember Scott Dixon's wife saying this about Scott about like 
Scott Dixon feels like he can't truly live unless he's in that car and feels that feel. There are people in this world that like have to feel mm-hmm. a crazy amount of risk, but here's crazy amount of, and again, I would side more on the crazy part to it in order for them to feel like they are truly living, which to 99.9% of us sounds outrageous. But the, the thing is, though, I think the thought by a lot of people was that this was going to be a a tour expedition. And it doesn't have windows. So like you're not looking at anything, you're looking at monitors of what it's seeing from the Yeah, you, once you get down there, what are you seeing? You you could have sat on earth and and like above the water, I mean, and and watched the video that was being filmed. Mm-hmm. Send the thing down, you don't have to be in it. And then, in addition to that, there is some thought that perhaps the capsule itself got stuck in the ship because they tried to take it down. That, that, that was because I guess he had mentioned at some point that if they thought they could, they were going to try to go like through the ship, like let's go down the hall, you know, that kind of oh, thing. God. <laughs> we'll do it one final time here, Kevin Quir. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I think my favorite part of the show this morning was the very first thing that Kevin said, Mark, when I said it's the longest day of the year, longest amount of sunshine, and Kevin said... Oh, well, that's good news for the the crew. You're staring at me. That's good for the for the search of the guys on the bottom bottom of the ocean. Oh my God, I, I I don't understand why that is so funny. I also think we're, we're laughing about these people that could be losing their no, lives. I, I mean, I, and you've been very emotional in the show about someone that has lost their life. Obviously, it is tragic that these. That, Presumably, one would assume that they're in a really bad situation. I mean, no doubt about it. You have people in boats searching for them. When they get to the top of the water, they obviously, something hopefully will be done to them. Uh, Daylight will be advantageous to them. Now, now, they have floodlights, I'm sure, right? Like they're out in Sure, you can obviously have different types of lights. Because I don't, you know, they're, they're like 4,000 meters below the surface of the water, so. Right, I don't think you're busting that vessel open down there. The um, I like I said, I saw an article that said that they that they think that it's possible. Pan, <laughs> I mean, the last that it said, you know, the, the five people in that vessel at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, that one of the things they have to battle against now is panic <laughs> setting in, and I thought. <laughs> Dude, do you need a PhD to know that? I mean, come on. Panic would have set in for me the second they closed that door and started bolting. I, I've shut. seen people that have said, honestly, and I'm, I'm, I mean, flippancy aside, I've seen people that have said, I wouldn't have gotten in that thing like in a warehouse, right? Let alone to get in that thing and take it to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, the pictures are um, a bit horrifying. Sayly. So, and I, I say this in all seriousness, and yes, I did say that to lead off the show. Um, obviously, hope for a miracle. And yeah, at, at this point, it looks like that's where we're at uh, with that. Uh, coming up tomorrow, obviously, we'll have the NBA draft five picks for the Pacers. We'll see if any fireworks happen today. You know, obviously, deadlines spur action. 
We'll see if we see anything. I feel like usually you get some a uh, little bit of chaos leading into draft night. You know, the NBA things just pick up very quickly with how their offseason schedule moves along. You get to July 1st and free agency and obviously summer league, so they follow a much different pattern to it all than the NFL with their offseason. Yeah, I just um I really do think they're going to stick at 7. And I think you said it best, Kevin. I think it's possible they take some of those later picks and flip them or parlay them into something maybe even towards next year. But I like where the Pacers are, don't you? I mean, it. it I like the situation they're in. Yeah, I have... Um, yeah, like I've said before, I think the last 18 months, Kevin Pritchard has executed um, a really, really smart, well-thought-out, uh, many-options type of rebuild. So, great work by him after... Uh, a very poor stretch there of draft picks that I think kind of led them to the path that they were in. I saw, um, I don't know if it was IMS's YouTube page. I, I maybe it was there. Maybe the Pacers YouTube page. Um, for those looking for a pretty cool video, we you know we've talked about speed and risk and all of that here today. Uh, they did a, a kind of a highlight clip of Tyrese Halliburton and Sarah Fisher in the pace car. That was fun to see. Uh, Halliburton said he uh, reached 146 miles per hour on race day. That was his top speed. And you know what's crazy is on that track... And I'm talking the, about the pace car with for the those banking, Like, with the banking of that track, I mean, it's still super fast, but, like, it doesn't feel like... Like, did you, do you remember the video that I did with Doug Bowles um, for the web, yeah. the station website Great here? I, I think we were doing, like, 100. Maybe it, he might have hit, like, 120. And if you, so when I do the two seater with Mario, how how fast did he go? One ninety. Oh god! I mean, you're moving for yeah, sure. Yeah, I thought my head was going to get just. I mean, that's, chopped off coming. Uh, out somebody service. asked earlier today. Somebody was doing the two seater today and was asking for advice. The advice I would give you is make sure that helmet is as tight as possible, because you do not want that helmet being loose at all, because it, it it does like bop back. I mean, it's. It's uncomfortable if it starts moving around a little bit. Yeah, Halliburton said he had 25 minutes of practice time on Friday. He was around 145 miles per hour in practice. Got up to 146 then on race day. I think Halliburton, it's not till later this summer, but um, he's going to do the Team USA World Cup stuff. So I assume that he'll, well, I don't know. Um, I, I, I would guess he would make that team. Um, so a great opportunity for him uh, to do some international stuff. Remember, remember we had Bruce Weber on earlier in the year? Yeah. How much Bruce Weber raved about Halliburton was, on the U19. That was 100% your call because you had read that article about him coaching it, and it was fantastic I mean, We're talking Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green. I mean, a ton of studs. And Halliburton was, in Bruce Weber's eyes, their most uh, most important player. And, you know, this might be a little far-fetched, but, Jake, I think you get in those Team USA-type environments – that's a good chance for Tyrese Halliburton to do a little recruiting. Yeah. Make an impression on guys. I think that that... Ooh, I like playing with him. When okay. they when they opened up the St. Vincent Center, the Pacers training facility, part of that was step one of an effort to start getting guys to want to come play in Indiana. And then I think they knew they needed a player that people would want to come play with. And I do think that Halliburton is that kind of a player both on and off court. And... You know, Mathern too, probably. I mean, guys may look at it and go, hey, that's kind of cool. Let's see what we can do there. And, you know, and 
if you look at Milwaukee and Denver and those teams winning it, I think you know players are starting to figure out you don't have to be in L.A. or Miami to win a title. So we'll we'll see what they're able to do. Just picture picturing Jokic right now in Serbia riding horses around the neighborhood. Uh, Jokic apparently the hit the bar circuit for a few nights. Well, when he got home. That stomach does not breed itself right there. Some beer and some za. Uh, thank you to Charlie Clifford. Thank you to Alex Golden. Those will be up on the podcast. It is the longest day of the year. Enjoy it, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.